The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is, uh, he's not here for this time, but Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then we have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different, but this is our commentary track for June 2022, and in honor of the 40th anniversary of the Steven Spielberg classic, we are talking about 1982's E.T. Bullen. The extraterrestrial. Yes, that is the commentary track for this month. We have plenty to say about ET. Um, and joining me to, to discuss this film, we have from Why So Blue and host of the Brandon Peters Show, stuffing himself with Reese's Pieces. It's Brandon Peters. Whew, I didn't get penis breath. Thank you. <laughs> also joining us from the Milky Way Blues. Strangely, he learned how to walk thanks to speak and spell. It's Yancey Burns. Alligators in the sewers. <laughs> lastly joining us from ember productions back from the green planet it's tony award winner maxwell hadden <laughs> welcome home you've arrived <laughs> well I'm, I'm glad i phoned you all here uh how is everyone doing this evening it's good. et we're awesome we're doing good yeah i'm gonna say that good. doing great good good, call, Brandon. good. well I, I am excited to talk about this movie with you guys it's one of is it our third Spielberg movie we've talked about? We've done Jurassic Park. We did Jaws. Have we done a Jones? We have not done a Jones, which is insane that we've been doing this podcast. All wow. We've never done an Indiana Jones movie. Uh, but regardless, we are going to talk about E.T. Uh, for those that are following along with us, as in they're going to watch the movie uh, while we uh, talk over it. Well, all you have to do is pause the film at five seconds in. That's where the Universal logo is on screen. And then on the sound of go, when I say three, two, one, go, we will press play. And you can just listen to us uh, talking about E.T. while you you know you watch the movie. If you plan to listen just to listen, you don't have to do anything. You are set. You can just grab your headphones or your walkie-talkie or whatever listening device you're using. And you can uh, just let us let us ramble on about this movie. Um, that's all I think I need to set up here because we can just get right into this thing. You guys ready? Ready. Yep. All right. Three, two, one, go. Ooh, like 3D there with the Universal logo. Oh, yeah, it was coming out at you. Wait, did it go backwards? It came out like it came at us because the, the, the planet was, went backward. Backward is, is that backwards from how they do it? It doesn't know where they like, zoom in on it, right? Uh, I don't know. Because it just it, it just this is such the debate we need to have at the beginning of this commentary. <laughs> it just comes. Is this Universal's already on screen? Does don't we like go in from space to the Universal? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. you know, this is hmm. like we're going into outer space because that's true. Oh, okay, clever, clever. Yeah. Things that I probably noticed before, forgot, and now we remember again. <laughs> I always love these epic movies that are like legendary, and you're like, oh yeah, and you watch these credits that are like text on black background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny. Get a little taste of score. Yeah, as far as what we're working with, very mysterious opening credits. No sense of the movie we're gonna get. Mm-hmm. It's I got remember. a creepy color and font to it, though. Yeah. It's, yeah. Purple's an interesting choice, but the music doesn't even tell you you're about to see 
you, you don't know what, you know. <clears throat> I, I want to hear more about why you think purple is a creepy color. Well, if anything, it's like yeah, lavender. So you can be referencing like color out of space. I think it's it's more the purple on black. Color. Purple on black is different. It is unique yeah, for a movie, yeah. right? You normally get like white, you know, yellow, like yeah, yellow, yeah. Well, let's do what we always do. Let's talk about when we first saw this movie and uh, you know how it impacted us. And Max Wilson's, you're not usually on these commentaries. Well, let's start with you. When did you first see E.T.? So my first experience with E.T. was actually the ride. I grew up in oh. South Florida, so we would frequently drive up to Universal Studios and Disney. And the the E.T. ride, which is still there, was it's for families. It's not like a roller coaster. So I was pretty young when I went on it. And then I was like, I want to see this movie. And my parents rented it and we watched it. I seven or eight years old, probably. How did, how did it affect you when you when you first saw the movie in full? Oh, I was immediately taken with it. It's it's one of those perennial classics that has influenced generations of, of film fans, right? Yeah. The, the score, the everything about it, which we'll dive into, I'm sure. But it was just one of those early foundational movies where I was like, oh, wait, movies aren't just something you have on in the background when mom and dad are arguing. They're art. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Yancey just brought up how kind of mysterious the opening credits were. And even this stuff where it's obviously we're saying, you know, other life forms and a spaceship or what have you. For Spielberg, coming off of like the movies coming off of Raiders and Close Encounters, what have you. Like, yes, there's effects that are going to come through this, but it was all still pretty like subtle and like unsensational compared to like the end of Close Encounters. Yeah. So they're trying to look at kind of we're getting a sense of the, you know, these life forms, but it's not. It's not going big with it necessarily yet, at least. Um, so let's go to you. Where, where are you with E.T.? When did you first see the film? Um, that uh, is a good one. Uh, there's probably no movie I'd rather talk about the first time I saw than E.T. And in fact, this is... Okay, let's skip you then. Brandon, when did you... For, no, okay, oh, thanks, yeah. Aaron. Uh, <laughs> I, oh. One of the few instances where I'm glad to be the oldest one here. Um, I was I saw this by myself at the age of whatever I would have been, eight uh, when it when it came out, my father, my parents had gotten divorced two years before. My father was going to play frisbee golf in, I think, Aaron Lamarada. Is that is there still yes. Lamarada? Yes, there is. Yeah, it's a great course. With his friend who was playing saxophone for Taj Mahal, the blues huh. guy, um, and and basically the idea was that took three or four hours. So they were going to drop me off at the screening, and I was going to sit through once. I was going to sit in line through the first screening of the movie, and then I was going to get in for the next one. And I had with me a Jack in the Box uh, <laughs> bacon cheeseburger and G.I. Joe number three from Marvel Comics. It's All this stuff is burned in my memory because of how much this movie hit me. I remember that day like it was yesterday. I sat in that line for two and a half hours waiting through the movie. I knew that it was a Spielberg picture. I vaguely knew who he was. My reference point would have been Close Encounters and Raiders. Um, I remember sitting down and seeing that purple font and hearing that music and being slightly worried that I was going to see something scary because I was... Uh, being a child of divorce, I was already starting to get a little bit lily-livered. Um, and I distinctly remember two hours later when the movie was over, everyone in the theater, of course, had the little the sniffles and so did I. But I was also, and I, this is a foundational thing for me, I also was for the first time in my life, similar to what Maxwell said, I was aware of this wasn't just a thing that happened in front of me. It was a movie that was made by this guy steven spielberg he made all of us in this theater feel this way 
uh, overflowing with love and, 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 and being, just being moved. And I remember sort of smiling through that as, as a nine-year-old or whatever I would have been. It was a precocious thing, but I, uh, it hit me like a ton of brakes. And it's still, it, it was my favorite movie probably until I was 18 or 19 and became really interested in cinema. And it's still in my top 10. I, I'd still argue that it's one of the great, greatest movies I've ever seen. I like how you brought in disc golf and you had my attention like wrapped into I mean, your story here. Like normally I only half pay attention to you, but like I was really into it this time around. I'm kidding, of course, but I do appreciate uh, the tale that you just told because that's uh, a, <clears throat> that, that certainly sounds special. Brandon, how about, how about you? And before, Brandon, real quick before we get to you, I mean, once again, we're, we're getting all this, you know, this activity on screen here. And uh, the thing that I always like really enjoy is that the, Here's a question for you guys, and then we'll keep going with the origin stories of ET. But um, is this Spielberg's first like kids movie? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, Jaws. Yeah. Everybody went to Jaws, even though it was well, certainly he has. He's made blockbusters that are for all audiences. But would mm-hmm. you? What is this? His first like I made a movie that's like about kids. That's it is. No, yeah, yeah, That way it inspires a lot of the Amblin pictures that would come, and ironically, end up sort of more beloved by that audience uh, of people my age than this picture for some reason. We'll talk about it later, but um, hey, I mean, this movie still, it was the, the, well, the, the, the biggest like, movie of all time. <laughs> I mean, people like, don't talk about this movie the way they do about the Goonies or Gremlins movies, which I think are, I, I think cause this one's just kind of like a, you take it for granted because it's just there, but what else can we talk? You know, everybody knows AT. So I think they kind of just, when I was 12 and 13, I remember other little boys didn't like it because it made them sad. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, that's not mm-hmm. a reason not to like a movie. Yeah. Uh, that was that definitely, and I think to this day, it, it's almost like, of, that means it worked. It's like, a, it's like, a, it's almost like a sacred piece of cinema, like, like Prasan's Balthazar about the donkey. It's, it's just like that. It's powerful, you know, and it's I not, can understand, I can understand that logic though, the kind of kid logic as far as like, you know, gremlins or goonies, like it's fun. Like, and there's not that this isn't fun, but there's a kind of a, well, there's something that you can get out of that. That's more, it, it's not, it's not about the emotions that make you sad or what it's, it's something that's more, I don't know, primal. I don't know, whatever you want to go that, that kind of like specifically like you get like boys excited to like play goonies in their backyard as opposed to playing ET. Does that I'm make a sense? Boy, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that that's the preferred thing or that the movie's better or whatnot, but I do. I can. I can see where that comes from as far sure, as, of course, of course, why that has a I, everlasting quality as far as what you bring up and references more frequently. I, I feel like the reception was probably a part of it too, because you know Goonies and and Gremlins were beloved, but they weren't necessarily like award-winning critical hits being talked about as great cinema which is a bullshit concept that is only truly in the eye of the beholder but anyways this was a prestige film that got a best picture nomination so little boys might have looked down on that been like i just want to watch something more fun and not serious and i think that's probably part of it too i remember going in sheila benson in the la times her review which this opened in limited release at first so i don't think i saw it probably finished two weeks but sheila benson the la times the, the headline of this review of a review was the best film of the double decade saying it was the best film of the last 20 years in, in the u.s which is a I'm, pretty amazing statement to make because it blanks out the 70s completely but there were a lot of reviews that were beyond passionate it's true well, and when that happens and then everybody uh, like agrees it's good, then they start turning on it. Like, shut up about E.T. already. Yeah. You know, that type of thing happens. And the fact that this thing 
goes on, it dominates the box office the rest of the summer. There's only two weekends it gets knocked off. Uh, Best Little Horror House in Texas and Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. Knock it off for one weekend and then E.T. comes back. That's wild. And it just soars like the whole summer. And it doesn't because Star Trek 2 opened the weekend before this and breaks the box office opening weekend record. But E.T. doesn't do that, but just stays it has the longevity like it the has the longevity it's yeah. it still has the record for long like a longest theatrical run like mm-hmm. like over a year you could find et yeah. in like, et like, and then insane. like yeah et's got an insane track record of the box and like beverly hills cop a couple years later are just insane ones that just go back and go they were in the top 10 for how long and then they, mm-hmm. they would go down and crawl back up and crawl down crawl back and it's it's crazy to watch but uh no et um it never leaves for the rest of the summer. The worst it does is like number two for a weekend. Like that's it. Here's another. Crazy. Here's another question. And I don't want to just focus on the financial qualities of it. I just do. I do, I do find it fascinating. There's more to say on it later. But like Jurassic Park. Scott's comes out not here. I got to do that. Yeah. Well, Jurassic Park <laughs> comes out later, and Jurassic Park becomes the biggest film of all time. Does do audiences ever turn on that movie? Like, does that ever get like a? But I wasn't a Best Picture nominee, and it wasn't it, true. It, it, this movie, the reason I think it's Chandler's list was that's, that's where the fun was at too. Well, and people people turn on that instantly. Well, so. people with ET yeah, also not allowed to turn on Chandler's list. This you can turn on because, like Pixar movies, it's it's sad and emotional, and that's upsetting if you just wanted to go have fun. Uh, it's a powerful movie, heavy well, shit. Well, it also yeah. it also has a stigma on Spielberg too, because then people go, "Oh, that's all he ever makes," and that's not tr- wasn't true oh, then, oh, and it's not oh, true oh. now. It's a weird statement. Like, <laughs> it's a weird <laughs> statement. But people thought like, "Oh, the Spielberg stuff." I'm like, that's produced- how big this was. <laughs> he produced similar stuff, but he didn't make that. And if you look at his filmography, like he does this like a couple times, like, and not even in a yeah. similar fashion. But yeah, so sorry, Maxwell, you were you're saying something. Uh I was to say there's there's certain people who think emotions or movies that make you feel things are uncool. Yeah. Very true. And that's just it working. You should reward the movie that made you feel that way. You'd be like, exactly. Oh, that's why when people are like, uh, I didn't like that horror movie. It made me feel gross. I'm like, and it was effective. It made you, you know, did what it wanted to do. You don't want to watch it again, but you got to credit it for be like doing what it was set out to do. I always thought it was where they had a cornfield here. It's clearly San Gabriel Valley or something. Do people have cornfields in the backyard? It's or a there's tall a weird grass of, or wheat or something. This, this comes down to Spielberg. Like Spielberg is great with like setting up things, but then like every now and then his geography gets weird, right? Well, or you think th- of like the T Rex paddock and the weirdness there, or you think of this house that's supposed to be yeah. like suburban LA. <laughs> it's like, wait, why is there a cornfield in it, his backyard? Here's the thing: it's smart. It's got a nice touch that the kid in the Midwest watching it can relate to somewhere in California where they're not from. Sure. So I mean, it's it's kind of a it's weird, but it's a smart touch because they, they look like they're out in a country sure. house and they're not. Yeah. They're not yeah. even out. Yeah, it's just it's a you don't think you know we, we were doing a commentary. We could point it out now, but like in a, in the moments, <laughs> you're not really thinking about that. But just looking at it now, it's like, yeah, why is there like a giant forest and a cornfield in the back of this like mm-hmm. suburban area? <laughs> Growing up in LA, it was important to me. This was shot near LA, but I think if you're just watching it, it's sort of supposed to be any. There's no lo, there's no landmarks. It's just supposed to be right. anywhere. It's an any town type thing, yeah. Which is yeah, generic kind of an thing, suburbia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we've run past a few intros here already with Henry Thomas and D. Wallace, both yeah. both in like icon, their iconic roles essentially for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I I I, oh. I I oh go ahead, Max. I was to say, I think this is a great example about how Spielberg always had a really keen eye for 
casting children mm-hmm. who weren't just cute but were legitimately good actors many of whom have gone on to have great careers henry thomas is still very active drew barrymore obviously look at christian bale and empire of the sun he cast mm-hmm. people who went on to have you know legit film careers see thomas howell gearing up for soul man too any second that's a, a uncanny uh, talent that not a lot of people have for right. sure and his direction of children as well beyond just the casting the performances he yep. gets out of them well is- i i find this and this is the i think this is the greatest kid performance in movie history how can a kid this age pretend this stuff well how do you do it i think it's paired with one of the greatest parent performances in movie history as well i think d wallace was should have been nominated for a best supporting actress award because it's genuine there's i i don't i'm always i'm always taken with her and one of my favorite moments in like film history comes from et when he says you know show your mouth penis breath and she is like laughing and trying to scold at the same time and it's just it every time just blows me away because i'm like that's impossible like you, only you could do that, D. Wallace. I don't know how many people could have pulled that moment off, but that just incredible. There's a sense of I know what you mean. Oh, here we go. There's a sense of spontaneity to the performances here, mm-hmm. uh, like the other little kids and D. Wallace. Well, the other kids and D. Wallace when they're talking about Dungeons and Dragons or, or that moment you're talking about. There's yeah. a sense of improvisation and sort of slightly messy stuff with the background extra characters that he used to do and this is the last movie he really did it where he has these where the front the front row characters like Elliot and, and his brother act like movie characters but the farther in the background you get with these early movies the more the person in the background seems less a professional and more just kind of a talented right there jaws has a ton of this stuff well uh gremlins and poltergeist have it too poltergeist for sure yeah 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 yeah. he stopped doing it after this point i think i don't he's pretty much after this point every every character in his Spielberg movie feels more polished i don't know if it was the influence of new hollywood or altman or what but i love that about early spielberg that he has this rambunctious mm -hmm. sort of six people talking at once stuff that he's sort of dropped i think part of it is well, it, I think part of it is losing the Academy Award and wanting to continually prove himself with, you know, these serious, you know, in between Indiana Jones movies, he's has, uh, he has Color Purple and Empire of the Sun and always, and I, they're all like attempts to like, sh- to like, to prove something. And I think that right. means like looking at every facet of his movies as opposed to just the things that, you know, the way he's been operating. I think there's a kind of a, what he might consider a level up as far as his expertise in these areas, um, so which, which, yeah, you kind of, you're, you're digging away from the kind of not gorilla style, but yeah, the rambunctiousness and focused more on a high level of sheen that he right. just happens to be one of the best at being able to do. So. Uh, this movie's suspenseful as heck too. Like, like this oh, scene right yeah. here where he stumbles upon keys. Like, it's like, Oh, sh-. I mean, I think this movie just delivers everything. Like, that's what uh, the strengths of it. It is based on, you know, a science fiction contact movie, uh, kid adventure, but there's coming of age, there's horror, there's suspense, there's comedy, there's, I mean, all sorts of... Well, this, and it delivers it all. It's interesting that Yancey mentioned earlier that he remembers being afraid that he was going to be scared when watching the credits and... Although it's not a horror movie, it does build suspense, and I have definitely seen kids be terrified by parts of this movie. The uh, the end sequence where they they invade the house and ET's dying yeah. like scared yeah. it frightened oh, me. Tough. I didn't want to like I love this movie, but I always got 
timid about watching it because of getting to that part when I was a kid. Well, I th- I think one of the like stalwarts of those these Amblin movies was that they didn't cut corners in making them be suspenseful and having mm-hmm. stakes. You know, they were kids running into real danger, and I think that's what's compelling about it, and why so many people fell in love with them. Yeah, they respected. They respected. They treated the kid like an equal. Like yeah, for the movie. Here it comes. There it is. Yep. <laughs> 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 the sense of trying to scold. That's true parenting. Wonderful. That is true parenting. When my Absolutely. kids have sworn, yeah. I've been like, or they've said something crazy, and you're supposed to like punish them or teach them something, and you're like, you just can't help laugh. It's bad, <laughs> but it's truth. Speaking to the uh, before we get off, to, and I haven't forgotten about the origin part, uh, but speaking to the the nature of the mystery and the my you know suspense, what have you, like. It's to to also another filmmaker. It's not a surprise that Shyamalan during that first that early period mm-hmm. of his career, he was being touted as a new Spielberg. You can see you could recognize a lot of similar things in Sixth Sense Unbreakable and very much signs as far as how he delivers on the visuals with a sense of you're getting hints at things without getting the full reveal until the time's right for it. Yes. Uh, there's plenty of other filmmakers that certainly know how to or at least try to operate on that level as well. But like mm-hmm when you have full page magazine that says the next Spielberg of, you know, Shyamalan next. So it's like, that's a big thing to put out there. But at that time, yeah, you could see that. And I'm curious what directors now are like peel is kind of at that level. It seems like in terms of some of the things that he's doing, despite the kind of obvious extra layers that he's adding on with the, you know, the social thriller aspect, but even like, and I'm not saying he's on the same level, John Krasinski is trying to do that with these, like a quiet place <laughs> as far as like some of the, technical things that he's operating on and it's it's certainly you know it's all coming from like influence from these people and that's not saying that they're up the par necessarily but i do you know when you have a master filmmaker like spielberg it's interesting to kind of look at the filmmakers of today and find out like who's who's getting there who's anywhere close to that level i mean you know that's a tough one yeah because there's just not many of those right that's like i mean i, I yeah well, and every time you crown them, they fall off. That's the other thing. There's the, other thing. There's the, there's the well, we, we tried. <laughs> um, before we get into more Reese's Pieces action over here, Brandon, why don't you talk about when you first saw UT? All right. So, Aaron, you have talked about on here and many times before about 1989's Batman being your earliest memory of seeing a movie in the theater. I'm pretty sure ET is mine. Uh, the 1985 re-release. I was taken to it uh, by my parents. Um, there's also an early memory of Pinocchio, um, but that could have been those movies could be shown at any time, randomly not being on a re-release circuit. Um, but uh, yeah, E.T. Uh, it's like one of my earliest for the re because I'm like, I couldn't have seen that. In, there's no way it could have been in 82 and looking up. I was like, oh, they re-released it in 85. Um, so I did see this in the theater on that re-release. And because uh, because Steve Bielberg was against putting this on VHS. Yeah, was against it was eighty nine, I believe, and they had they had a commercial, and Harry Thomas came on a bike. It was like ET, you can come home now. It's like oh, the magic. Yeah, even now he's still reticent about revealing too much about yeah. his home releases. So uh, yeah, so I saw it in the theater. It, uh, it had it was just I, my memory is just being in a room with the thing and scenes from it. I don't know my, can't remember my exact reaction to it, but I know when I 
finally saw it. I saw it get on like home video and stuff when it came out on VHS. I was enjoyed it and freaked out again because of that finale stuff. Um, but it's always it's always a good movie. And it's, I went through, you know, you go through a phase where you love E.T., then you might be a little too cool for E.T. And then you're like, no, I'm not too cool for E.T. E.T. is awesome. So, um, yeah, it's because you just you get into like as a film fan, you can get into like bigger R-rated movies and then you start thinking you're too cool. And then you realize, no, just everything's everything. Uh, there's magic. No, ratings don't matter. Just make a good movie. And um, yeah, this Absolutely. is there's it doesn't get much better than ET to be honest. It does. Shots like I, this with the sorry, but just these like little reveals where you're just getting the hands and that's it. Like it's just so careful and patient. So careful and patient, and they so they treat. He shoots the the creature like he's really there and not like he's a special effect. You know, they reveal mm-hmm. in, in 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 sort of very slowly, which is very, man, this thing with the, I mean, is this coming up the star Wars figures? Cause that talk about connecting with a kid. Oh, like, this movie has a ton of just star Wars. That's not like obvious. It, I mean, there's stuff in here, but then like, there's like a scene where his brother like makes, he talks in a Yoda voice. And I'm like, man, that pop culture lexicon just naturally being there is nifty today. It'd be like, ah, but it's just kind of figures in the background. Yoda Halloween too. The Yoda. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. This is one long shot, which is also yeah, there's so arguably much Spielberg was sort of the progenitor of infusing real world pop culture into the right like interior lives of his characters. Now, now, like you said, it, it, it's gotten so prolific that it's easy to make fun of as it and people will use it as a crutch. Yeah. But here yeah. it felt more authentic, especially because, you know, obviously friends with George and sort of promoting his buddies films, too. <laughs> That's the first time we've really seen him. And he's not scary. Look how you look at, I mean, I had a friend <laughs> 15 or 20 years ago who famously hated this movie. And his theory was that in real life, little kids would throw rocks at E.T. and oh, kill him. And I was like, I guess there oh. that would do that. But the idea is that he found this kid. And I think I was a sweet little kid at eight or nine. So I could identify with, with what Elliot's doing here with E.T. I mean, every pet I ever had after this was because of this movie. Mm. Um, just the thought of having... You know, I think part of it is it's that story about a kid whose parents are going through a divorce and he's sort of allowing, he's he's forming his character. I think that's what the last shot of this movie is all about. It's Elliot's face and close up. And you realize that over the course of this movie, he's kind of gone from child from a broken home to being a legitimately good little, good person who's going to go in his life and, and be brave and sort of, look at this. Alan Davio, great cinematographer, shot this, shot a bunch of... Uh, Spielberg movies after this, as well. As he shoots his he shoots his dramas specifically. Got Cat Color Purple right. Yeah, went on and shot one of the most beautiful movies because he has for Barry Levinson, Avalon and Bugsy for Barry Levinson. He shot um, two of the best looking movies of their era, and and, and this obviously because Spielberg has Slocum for the Indies. Welcome for the Indies, and then yeah, and then, then he then he has um what's his name that 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 one terrible cinematographer for Jurassic Park, uh, Brandon. Um, what's his uh, <laughs> Dennis <laughs> Dennis Kanday? <laughs> yeah. Do you, you um, know, here's the thing with ET and some of Poltergeist and stuff. Like, I feel like his cinematography like wants to be like starts molding to like he wants to be Dean Cundey, and then he just ends oh, up hiring sure him. Like, huh? 
I'm sure Spielberg was a fan of those. Oh, yeah. Well, then he works with Zemeckis on Back to the Future and then he starts being integrated. But there's a lot of stuff that I feel like it looks Cundy-esque in those movies. Um, It kind of blows your mind to look back and realize Poltergeist and E.T. like came out within a week of each other. And were made next to each other, like in the same neighborhood, like down the street. Well, it's insane because also a couple weeks. So E.T. Poltergeist comes out like the week be- week or two before, then E.T., and then in two or no, three weeks after this, Raiders gets re-released on a national. There's a national re-release of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Paramount got jealous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Spielberg, the was, Spielberg fever. We need to catch yeah, out of this. Exactly. There's so much Spielberg going on. Um, um, I, I was thinking about your question you posed a little earlier, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Who who is like the successor to Spielberg, sort of, right? And there's mm-hmm. been a lot of of guys who have sort of been given that label and then fall off. I think Spielberg himself basically tried to hand the keys to J.J. Abrams, and that has worked out how it's worked out. <laughs> um, so the the obvious answer is no one, but someone who came to mind um, that I'm not sure immediately what is Alfonso Cuarón. Oh. Because if you look at the breadth of his filmography, he's dabbled in a lot of the same areas Spielberg has. He's done mm-hmm. the technical showcases. He's done the the gritty personal dramas. He's done stuff with kids like Harry Potter and A Little Princess. Yeah, He's done a lot of coming-of-age stuff and, and brought it back to his own personal experiences. He rocks a scarf on occasion. Yeah, he's a scarf-wearing <laughs> guy, so... I would have said mid, you know, mid nineties. I would have said the, the the inheritor of the throne was Tim Burton, in terms of someone who was a mainstream guy who also retained such character. But mm-hmm. I don't know whether that held true for the rest of Tim Burton's career. But for a second there, he looked like the next. Well, he was the next guy, like because we had such strong voices in the seventies that you knew certain people were a film, and then we got into this blockbustery eighties thing, and then he emerges of like, whoa, I get what this guy's like. You can just identify his sensibilities, his look and everything right off the bat. And we hadn't had that really in a long time. And at, once uh, Pee Wee Beetlejuice Batman, you're like, oh, this this guy's got something to say or something to show us. And we really hadn't had that because they were kind of Cameron was around. But like, did he have a distinct like? I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't say if you held up a frame of a camera movie, it's exactly. automatically seen as a camera not, movie. Oh, wait, not but, such on the nose. A film person sure. is going to notice, but a general audience member picking up on that's a so-and-so film, Tim Burton is easily recognizable there. Oh, yeah. 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 That's right. That's where I was going for. Yeah. You gotcha. Can, I hear you. Yeah. Tony Scott, but that's kind of like what people start ripping off Tony Scott right and left. So everything Michael, was looking Michael, like that. Michael Bay. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. So Michael Bay's entire career is ripping off. Mm-hmm. Tony Scott. <laughs> it's funny. I was sitting here thinking about the, the cinematographer, Alan Davio, who actually also shot Spielberg's very early short called Amblin. Amblin. I actually saw mm-hmm. once and boy, it doesn't, it, you can tell it's Spielberg, but it, it is such a new Hollywoody sort of thing about a couple who are hitchhiking and, you know, making love in the moonlight on the beach. It's, it doesn't feel like a Spielberg thing at all. Mm -hmm. And it's funny how he came into that new Hollywood world. If that hadn't changed after star Wars into the world of movies for quote unquote kids, what would he have done? Would he have just made quote unquote grown up movies? Would he have stuck with, would he have tried to make like Chinatown or because eventually without, I mean, Spielberg and Lucas are both great filmmakers. They certainly wouldn't have sacrificed all that stuff on the bonfire of 
making money, but without what they did changing the course of Hollywood, I wonder what kind of filmmakers they would have ended up, especially Spielberg. I wonder what we would think of as a typical Spielberg film if Star Wars hadn't changed. I mean, I, I, it's interesting because I feel like he just keep testing things to prove what he's not good at because you you know he does jaws before star wars right so right he has like a blockbuster under his belt mm-hmm. and he has a, he has like an adult car chase movie with sugarland yep. express yep. but then he but then he you know he had he has close encounters in mind and he clearly has interests in these areas so he puts that together but then you have things like 1941 which you know regardless of what you think of 1941 is a bomb you know it it, it, it struck out for him and it's like it's proving okay maybe this is not my area it is not the thing that i want to do uh, does that? I don't. I don't think that's a result of Star Wars coming. I think it's just like I want to make like a World War II movie that's like funny. Like you know, I have some ideas here. I think I want to test out. No, it's too soon for Star Wars to have that effect yet. Um, yeah. So that close encounters, you would say, is 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 him making what we thought of at the era at the time as like a personal film. Yeah, close encounters is really sort of about him. And I think again, you know, yeah. you have the success of you know back to back successes like that, testing out something like 1941. It's like okay, so I can't do that. So like, if, say Star Wars is not a factor, and he comes off of that movie anyway, and it's like, well, I didn't know anything for me. He probably does just chase down more things that he's just interested in because uh, he has the clout to do so, and figures out what works and what doesn't. So if it doesn't go to Indiana Jones right away, it probably goes to something like you know, still like this. Maybe he's just still in Aliens, and he still tries to make a movie like this. Like Truffaut or somebody. I'm forced yeah. to say every time I have to say I love 1941. I have to just say it every time it's brought up because I do love 1941. I think he did not fail. Obviously, the movie was a bomb, but I think it's very well made. Sure, I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying to speak to what I think or what anyone thinks. It's just more of where his opinion lies is okay, this didn't connect with people. And right. I clearly I didn't get the same praise that I've been getting throughout my career so far so that's not the thing that i should be doing or pursuing. Oh, raiders okay. gave him a gigantic hit to come back on sorry raiders sorry is not, raiders is not that far from 1941 it's right. still no. yeah. crazy energy i mean he might not have been discouraged at all no, i'm not saying he's discouraged but in terms of like it's not like you've seen many spielberg comedies certainly not ones that like match that kind of level of scale with comedy comedies that's for yeah sure. like he's, yeah, he's you like, catch me if you can like the terminal yeah, like, yeah. The, and even then, those are you know they're layered with. Yeah, no one's like no one's yeah. putting those in for belly laughs, you know. Like that's he's not making you know, it's <laughs> not making burn after reading as far as like right. some kind of like just out and out big cast comedy. I don't know why that was my go to, but that's what. Well, I mean, you know, Raiders and ET back to back gives him just boom, whatever you want, go for it. Speaking of bringing pop culture in, there he is. Uh... Elliot's older brother Michael singing Elvis Costello's "Accidents Must Happen." Uh, uh, a very cool little moment for the older brother. So, C. Thomas Howell cast in this movie, uh, auditioned for this movie, Ralph Macchio um, huh. for the brother. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, him and Coppola, him and Coppola were probably going through the same kid, the like Outsiders, and uh, oh, sure. Coppola's sure ready to do that. that and then, yeah. yeah, um, there was a. Another rule conceived as a friend for Elliot, uh, which was written out of the movie, obviously, because it's just these Spielberg decided that it'd just be oh, okay. alone or makes more sense. But Corey Feldman was the, uh, the yeah, because yep. oh, he'd bring God. him back for Goonies. You guys there, they, might throw him in there. Well, Corey Feldman as the friend is what makes this would make this not one of the greatest movies ever made. But he uses him as a friend in Gremlin, like he wants Feldman Gremlins to play that friend. Gremlins is fun, but it's yeah. not a masterpiece. Um, oh God, I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, no, the Corey Feldman was almost in this as the friend. That's a horrible thought. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, Drew Barrymore, you had Juliette Lewis, who um, I believe her parents turned it down. 
Okay. Oh, interesting. And uh, Sarah Sarah Michelle Geller auditioned. Ah, huh, okay. That makes that checks out. About this time. Huh. You know, and uh, we forgot to mention the script for this though was one with Poltergeist, and then they split apart, and he had to choose which yeah. one he wanted to do more. So I can back up even further. So he came off of of Close Encounters. Still at aliens on the mind. Still he wanted like to make the answer. The that was the he, yeah. question, and this is he the answer. Yeah. Well, he so he wants. So he wanted to make a horror movie. He wanted to make something mm-hmm. meaner. And he had. A, there was a movie called Night Skies that he wanted to make with John Sayles. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. Um, and John Sayles would obviously do the brother from another planet, which is also scary. Uh, but uh, was right. The howling with D. Wallace. Yeah. Exactly. But um, so yeah, you had. So instead, he cut. You, there's multiple ideas going around. Et comes around based off of what Spielberg has an imaginary friend when he's a kid after his parents get divorced yeah that are that informs kind of some of the skeletal of this with the masses Matheson uh gets involved she's coming off of um uh black uh the black stout black stallion That's um yeah which um I, that got Spielberg's attention I think Coppola had some and I mean they're all recommending mm-hmm. stuff to each other all the time mm-hmm. um so uh it's a yeah they team up was she already uh, Harrison Ford's wife at that point? She was Harrison. She's married to Harrison Ford in '83. Okay, so it was after. But they're but they're together at that yeah. like and like I believe she even. I think like the script's being like told around the time that like they're doing, that they're making Raiders. Like they're like figuring out <laughs> things. Right, what happened? We go and talk to her. Uh, yeah, her or whatever. That's right. Yeah, we can get back to Harrison Ford later. How he's almost involved in this movie. Um, <laughs> the deleted scene with him was the principal. Yeah. Yep. But um, so yeah, movie comes together, and yes, there's the, a the scenario where there's both the Poltergeist script and the ET script, and he wants to do both. Something he would later perfect, as far as making multiple movies in one year. <laughs> but this is this was not that trial run, apparently. So instead, he just he makes ET, and he just hangs out all the time on Poltergeist because it's down right. the block, so right. he can be there and you know be a he's a producer he's a hands-on producer with toby hooper uh we haven't done our poltergeist commentary yet but it'd just be brandon and i screaming that told toby hooper directed the movie for 90 minutes so um, <laughs> <laughs> um yep. and it's disrespectful and, and ignorance of people to be like that's not toby hooper's like have you seen toby hooper movies it looks like a toby hooper movie. If, yeah if, um, if, if you think that you've never seen a to- you've never seen anything beyond texas chainsaw massacre which you should think he would know how to make Anyways, but yeah, Spielberg had these hanging movies that give him the, the the stigma forever of being the guy who makes the suburbs movie. It's just ET and mm-hmm. Poltergeist. He didn't even direct Poltergeist. Yeah. So, yeah, he's hanging out, doing both things. All that stuff, you know. <laughs> makes this movie. Uh, Matheson, she goes on. What she does, she does, well, she does Kundun eventually with Scorsese. Um, the BFG again. BFG is the last thing, and she passes away in 2015 before the yeah. movie actually comes out. Um Indian the cupboard. That's the other one. Indian the cupboard is another one that she yes. had a hand in. Um, and I think the Twilight Zone movie also. Like the, I think she had some involvement. I mean, you know, because it's all Spielberg's things. I think she had a hand in one of the screenplays of the stories. Here's a fun shot. <laughs> the stuff to yeah. get that 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 Jaws shot, but using the suburbs subdivision. Yeah. And I don't think I mentioned this, but notable, all the except for D. Wallace, we're not seeing any adults in this movie. Right, exactly. It's the Elliot perspective. It's very, yeah, very much told for it's, it's the Charlie Brown perspective. That's what we're getting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which is just yeah, a, a penis breath. Muppet That's why babies. Kids' world still, right? Which is, yeah. 
That's which is just it's such a great choice and i can't think of another movie that does it which is interesting because it seems like such a natural thing you would choose to do for movies like this geared a certain way that seems like something you would easily ape just for the sake of saying i'm doing that thing that spielberg did and yet movies don't really go that that far it's something a lot of people don't notice you i mean you gotta really know your stuff i mean yeah you watch it a couple times something like that but it's so comfortable that it's not apparent you know Mm -hmm. like you're you're in there yeah so we don't get full-on and that's adult the whole shot. point it's not apparent yeah. yes ah. so we don't get full-on adult shots until peter coyote finally like oh that was beautiful enters the house basically right Drew barrymore is so yeah. good and in this that's really testament to spielberg's directorial prowess with kids i'm not even sure she's aware of what she's doing yet she's such a young kid in this but she's great she's so natural you know she doesn't feel like affected or precocious at all yeah oh. But oh, she also she, feel like a bad kid actor has been fed her lines and it's just sort of saying, I mean, she she's perfect. It must have yeah. been Spielberg's ability to communicate, you know. She's I think ad- in many ways, this is, this is because it's kids, because it's sci-fi, I think this is still his, maybe his greatest movie. And, and I think some, move, some filmmakers have one movie they were born to make. And no matter what you think about Schindler's List or Private Ryan or AI, which is one of my favorites, this, I think, is the movie that he was exists to have made you know spielberg you could say that probably about many like i don't know there's so many but that yeah it does feel there i I, i'm not yeah you're not wrong but like i feel like if someone brought up some other ones i'm like well yeah that too but really my god of course his hair masterpiece too but i still think this is the movie that seems to mean the most to him and i feel like if you if you if you hooked him up to a lie detector and asked him which movie to this day, it means the most to you. I bet the real answer would be E.T. You're really alienating the Amistaders out there, but it's fine. Oh. Uh, yeah. um, I didn't talk about when I first and saw once E.T. Once again, it is an alienator to blame. <laughs> yep, you didn't. That's right, Aaron. I, um, I don't have a specific memory of when I first saw E.T. In, well, when I was young. I'm, I, I can guarantee that I saw it when I was young. Like I, I just I know the movie too well to know that it when I can actually remember the first time you're watching it in the whole, that's not the first time I've seen it in the whole. Like I know I saw when I was young, but I didn't have it on VHS. But what I did have, and I'm not joking, I had Mac and Me on VHS, probably because it just came with McDonald's meals. Like I just assumed that like that happened. So I, I so I, I had Mac and Me and I know I like I can remember that movie better as far as seeing that in full before I can remember when I was young seeing ET. I might have just I just might just not have the memory for whatever reason to know that. So with that in mind, while knowing ET well enough, the, the time I can remember, like really sitting down and watching ET in full for the first time and having that memory is high school, which is like bizarre. Cause like I, I, when I watched that, when I watched it, I certainly like had all the stuff in mind. Like none of it was like surprising to me as far as the things that are happening. But in terms of me just like saying, I definitely saw this movie in full <laughs> knowing that I'm going to remember this. It's like high school. And re- even regardless, I mean, it's great. Like I, I saw that. I was like, n- not remembering certain like things weren't like all the details, like the ET death stuff is like, I forgot how extreme this gets. Like as far as the emotions mm-hmm. it wants to pull you through before you get to the ending of that movie. Um, so like, yeah, no, it, you know, regardless of it's a testament to how good the movie is. We're like seeing it 
even older it's like it's not mattering to me that i can't quite remember like the young age i saw it at i'm in high school where i'm probably like my most cynical and it's like this movie fucking rules (laughs) like it's so good (laughs) i would say it's 18 or 19 and i got into real sort of real movies some favorites from the earlier years fell away i definitely was still a fan of like harry and the hendersons and this stuff and i sort of dropped a lot of those movies i loved as a kid but this never i could tell when I was 20 and I looked at this, I could tell, God, this is a meticulously made movie. Every shot is beautiful. This is not just something that appealed to me as a kid. I just lucked out. I got such a great movie as a kid. You know, it might have been nothing. You know, kids can be affected by any number of things. With this, I just got very lucky. We all did my age with the Star Wars movies and, and these movies. Are very, very. It's why I think that's why I've never quite loved The Wizard of Oz, because I'm so spoiled by the the reality of the kids in this compared to the the sort of uh, slight, you know, the, the, in the Wizard of Oz, they play it so big, like, you know, Dorothy, it's going to be all right. You know, whereas this, everybody's talking like a real kid. It's hard for me. To- it's fun, like my affinity for Wizard of Oz is like, it's not rooted in just growing well, up. Well, it's well, just more of like, it's more of like a general acknowledgement I have. It's like, obviously, this is good, as opposed to like, I need to watch this all the time. Like, I'm happy to have it. Like, it's, like, you know, it, oh, of course, does, of course. it does plenty of great things, but. Even the Harryhausen movies from the 50s are wonderful. Older movies that were intended for kids were more condescending than the movies that Lucas and Spielberg came around with. Sure. We're respectful of kids. But it, to, to getting back to my E.T. experience, what's something that I, you know, watching it, I was, I knew I was set up to like it because like, I, I well, I can't remember if when this young age was when I probably saw E.T. for the first time. I can very visibly remember when I saw Close Encounters and 2001, which were both elementary school years. And I love both of those movies. <laughs> like, dude, like I, the the Close Encounters, I, like blew me away when it got to like the ending as like a young child, where it's like this symphony of music and colors coming together. It was just like this was worth the wait as far as like all the drama going on to get there. And then two thousand one, I don't know what the audiences were like in sixty eight as far as like because it's a <clears throat> G, it's a G rated movie that made money, like it was a hit. So it's like, so- but I assume that people loved it but like i saw you know just randomly watching it as a whatever seven eight year old and i was like this is a like even regardless of how much i could comprehend at that time as far as where it goes i was just like this is i am just so invested in all of this this is really wonderful max what were you gonna say sorry uh even there in the in the closet scene the mom mm-hmm. looking into the closet even though there are no kids there et is hiding it's still shot from the kid's perspective looking yeah. up at her yeah and then in the classroom right after, you're never going waist high than the teacher. You're staying with the kids at the desks. So it's one of those things where once someone mentions it, it's all you can see when you're watching it. It's a wonderful bit, too, when you look in the closet and all the animals are there. <laughs> yeah. in the middle. Well, and <laughs> and seeing that made, you know, made me think. And I think another reason why this movie endures is E.T. himself and the design. Carlo Rambaldi designed this puppet and they used animatronics for the face and then they had little people and then there's also a child who had no legs that they used to be in the bottom part of the puppet and it's so expressive and because it is a puppet it is a timeless quality Mm -hmm. you watch some older movies that are still great but they were early special effects movies and it takes you out of it a tiny bit because they're doing things a little before they could achieve it but when you use a puppet or an animatronic, it's never going to go out of stock. Well, there's just such skillful uses of how to close up on him as far as his hands and like, you know, the angles it gets on the face 
and like when it's walking around like there's spielberg knows how to do this stuff like he knows how to make things feel like i'm never looking at et thinking like how does this work i'm just thinking of et as a character i mean it's not the magic mac- of this movie it's not mac and me but it's okay i mean yeah you know mac and me there's more of them so obviously it's more impressive i, I had a, a vhs of mac and me also <laughs> and i'm almost positive it came with a fast food meal like it had to right i can't imagine my mom being like hmm, et mac and me which one should i choose here <laughs> and that's the other thing that's probably why i can't because i didn't have et on vhs because it probably wasn't available for so long so like it just never like the cycle of buying tapes just never quite got to et for whatever reason I, I, so i feel like that's another reason why i just didn't like specifically grow up with et or you know with it like accessible in the same way to, that other to anyone were. watching who's younger <laughs> say in your your teenager or 20s you do not know how good you have it that if you want to watch a movie you can rent it stream it it's accessible to you 85 to 90 percent of movies we'll say yes there was a time where if you wanted to watch a movie at home sorry yeah nothing you can do yeah like spielberg tapes in general fascinated the ones that i had because i i definitely had jurassic park and i watched that plenty but what I didn't have were any of the Indiana Jones movies, but I did have them taped on VHS. <laughs> so I had Raiders on its own. And then we had a tape that was Temple of Doom and Last Crusade. I think I might have described this before. I had Temple of Doom and Last Crusade on the same tape. And the thing about that was Temple of Doom, the tape ends. It ends when Indy climbs up the bridge, like after the bridge collapse and everything. Yeah. So that's where that movie ends for me. Because it was a 120 like a, minute tape and it was uh, so for a good long time. You didn't I never put it on EP. I, for a yeah. good long time. Well, well, I never, two, you I, did put it on EP, but you cut off before the end. So, so here's okay. the thing. Quality. For, a good, for a good long time, I never saw the end of Temple of Doom as far as that. When he gets on the bridge, that's it. Like there's no final sequence where they go back to the village and all that. <laughs> but, and, and no shot of the people going like, when so the, we when kept see the, the stones. Elephant. But, but, here's, so... but, here's, but here's, here's the other real quick. Like, but it's not. Here's the other thing. The, it goes to Last Crusade and Last Crusade. I never saw the River Phoenix prologue for a no. long time. It oh, starts wow. at the it starts at the fucking boat after the prologue. <laughs> so I never saw the beginning of Last Crusade before for the longest time. They're trying to steal the stones from Temple of Doom. And he goes jump right. He kept them. Um, yeah, one story. We were talking about what what Spielberg VHS tapes you had, and I know we had Hook, but what we had was the first time I ever saw Raiders was on Laserdisc. Mm. Yeah. Mm. We definitely had a Laserdisc player and a, a decent collection of them. That was one. You were talking about the effects in in this and in, and in two, you mentioned 2001, Aaron. And the other day I watched Disney from the 50s, Darby O'Gill and Little People. Okay. All three of those movies prove, prove that if you really, really, really are thoughtful when you do special effects, they'll never age. This movie's yeah. 40 years old, which is hard to believe, but I, I you ET looks so great the way yeah. he designed the way yeah. he shot. It's hard to imagine that someone's gonna watch this and go, Oh, that effect is dated. I don't if you really in 2001 is the same thing, Star Wars. It, it's the filmmaker, they don't they they don't accept really anything dated. less than per- perfect. Rick is a perfect example. In 68, 2001, I mean, those effects still look great because he wouldn't accept anything unless, like you're saying, ones because like there's stuff for like I know I could find out how to do certain things, but like the thing like the pen in the it's like I don't. I, I know how this could work, but just the fact that she takes the pen out of the air and pluck, it's like, this is, this is 60. This is ridiculous. <laughs> it's just that effective. Yeah. Like James Cameron's stuff holds up. Like, oh, because yeah. it, even like Terminator two with early CGI effects 
holds up because he wouldn't accept anything other than what would, you know, pass as real or or work. Yeah, that's why there's only one of those twins left because he why killed King the other Tom one. Works still, <laughs> 1933, because it's imbued with wit and imagination and soul. I mean, you can tell unless your mind is totally closed. King Kong still looks great, you know? right? Uh, yeah, I, there's Alice. Yeah. There's an Alice in Wonderland for back then that's just still like, I mean, it's almost like a. That's like a. The effects are so good still there. It's like an edible movie where you're like, take it out well, and watch getting, Alice in Wonderland and be like, whoa. Because yeah, right. those fantasy things get into like George Murray territory, right? Like as far as like the kinds of stuff they're pulling off. Mm-hmm. Like there's that Czech trilogy that oh. came out on Criterion a, while, a little while ago, the, the right. Fantastic Adventures movie, which look amazing. Uh, like the ones the Baron von Munchausen that Gilliam would remake. And it's like, here's the first time I ever saw a quiet man. <laughs> I really like this like segment of like, this like weird swashbuckling adventure slash free the frogs thing that's going mm-hmm. on with Henry with uh, with with did, Elliot. Did you have to to di- dissect frogs in school? Was that a thing? For you? I, I did. Mm-hmm. did. Yeah, yep. I did. I had I had everything but a frog because I had a squid, an owl pellet, and a fetal pig. Like I said, everything except the frog. That's we built to a had, frog. Frog was middle school, I believe. I had no dissection of any kind. Mm. This is the oh. beginning of the introduction. This sequence is the introduction of this connection that ETNL. Yeah. Had. Yeah. With I Erica Laniac, who would later pop out of a Alaniac. cake for Steven Seagal in yeah. Under Siege. I think it's I think this is a very affecting metaphor for for love. This idea that, that they're connected, sort of a non-sexual love, right? Well, I, I like mean, I just the simple chew turn. Like that is yeah. brilliant. And then frogs, like it's just there's so much like inherent. That's such a beautiful scene. Where yeah, yeah it's just, it's wonderful. It's a, yeah, it is it is. And I like and you like you get the sense of like oh that et he's just messing around. Then you're like wait what is he doing though? He's drunk. <laughs> he gets the beer out of the fridge and he gets drunk. And it's it's the kind of it's it's why it's why Wally's an absolute favorite of mine. There's a curiosity that I find. I just I don't know I don't have the words to describe what I would it is it gives me a feeling as far as this thing that's innocent wants to understand and discover stuff and I, I love what that feeling is and I love that because it's doing that it inspires everyone around it to also want to be better or be different or like also have that sense of curiosity there's lots of world out there there's a, slick, there's a slick town Barnaby yeah this is a this is a, you know this is a scene that Spielberg pulls off that other directors wouldn't be able to pitching this character as someone who's so distracted that you wouldn't notice that there's this little guy running around. Um, you know, it it, it's weird. Like he just shoots a house so like genuine. Like I maybe yeah. I don't know if it's because I lived during this time stuff, but I feel this. Like I I know what it smells like. I like there's a feeling to how he captures this. Well, it's because he has because these. Like, I don't mean. I don't mean to trash any anything. There's a scene in in an Amblin movie, Harry and the Hendersons, where John Lithgow is talking to somebody, and under him, Bigfoot is causing the floor to rise, and John Lithgow is countering mm-hmm. that by bending his knees, and the guy standing next to John Lithgow does not see that there's this bump in the floor that's causing him to rise. I remember my dad going, "That's idiotic. How could anyone not see that?" And the way this is staged, you wouldn't argue with it, whereas that's. I would argue because well, D. Wallace doesn't know there's an alien in her home. Like you know, it's a lot of people like. Well, it's, her daughter yeah. is unlike everyone that suspects well, Bigfoot's are in their home. Because her daughter is always talking about random shit. Obviously, yeah. One, uh, you know, we have the scene you're talking about where she's so frazzled as a single mother that she's utterly oblivious to the little alien in her kitchen. But it's just another example of one of the themes in a lot of Spielberg's film is his daddy issues. Yeah, 
And then so many of them, there's just no dad at all because he had such a strained relationship with his dad. So when I go back and watch his older films from the 80s, especially ones that had a family portrayed this and Close Encounters. And then I think about the fact that The Fablemans is coming out this year, which is basically as much of a movie about his childhood and his life that he's ever made. What similarities we may see between them to see what elements of his own childhood experience influence these families in these movies does he have a writing credit on Fable? doesn't he have a writing credit on Fableman's? i like think his, he does his first time yeah. in since ai right yeah. is it a kushner again it's kushner but it is the like i mean it's obvious it's informed by his life i forget it is he has, like, it's kushner and spielberg are sharing writing credits on he wrote, yeah. Close yeah. And he wrote ai yeah those are the two scripts i think that yeah it's a spielberg yeah, it's, that's why it's like it's, it's like his third script like his third writing credit. right well, I guess he's Very a store credit on Poltergeist, right? But I mean, as far as like his directed movies, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm very, I'm, fa- I mean, I'm excited, obviously, but also just fascinated by wh- how deep he goes with Fableman because you know he, since he was able to eventually rectify that relationship with his father, but it's like, I, you know, this, this is Spielberg that's going to dig deep on this, and you know, given that it's a award season release, I can't imagine it right. going light. On something like this, and you know, even after the past movies he's made, it's not like he's lost his grit when it comes to drama. Like he knows how to dig in when he ha- when he wants to, right? And so if he's going to do something that personal, I can't imagine him, you know, choosing not to do that. It it's an exciting project for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't know. How we it's funny. We ET is supposed to be older, right? He's sort of like a Yoda age, isn't he? But he's yeah. not a kid, ET. He's a botanist, right, from another planet. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he's designing tech in this movie, so I'm sure he, he seems to be aged enough to to know his way around a thing or two, even if he can't quite immediately communicate to Earthlings from another world. Yeah, it's not his not his first day on the block here. It's, Although it's, he's, he's it's certainly wants to be fashionable. Slight, that. That's the slight Yoda connection that later causes the gag. When he says home, home, when he sees the other kid in the Yoda costume, it's because mm-hmm. the fact that he's older makes him a little Yoda-esque, I guess. If um, you say that, like, I never really, I never think about that. Like, it's never something that, probably because it's not a, like a, a Henson puppet. So it doesn't, it doesn't like occur to me to like think, put those, link those two together. But I never really think about the other fact that there's a scene featuring E.T. and Yoda together. I never really look at E.T. and think. Oh, yeah, isn't that kind of like Yoda? It just it's like no, that's ET. That's ET. They oh, were in a movie together. They were in a movie together. They were in two, a movie two together. movies together now, apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh that's right. During the Phantom Menace, that's right. He should have kept that hat though. That hat's pretty good on him. This is where we start getting into some painful territory where ET starts getting feeling bad and getting sick. That's yeah. It hurts. Like uh, <laughs> it's hurt. And, and, and I, I've shown this movie to my children, and it gets them too. Like they, it, it, it's a. It really effective stuff. Doesn't feel it doesn't feel cruel to me, and it doesn't feel irresponsible. It feels like the fact that it's up to the kids to save him is what makes this such a lovable movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I think it's easy to forget when you haven't seen it in a while that it does. It goes there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. You know, it doesn't censor itself at all. And so every time I watch it, you know, it's a fun adventure. But you're like, oh, I'm gonna cry now. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> something about the you know the 20th century where we thought that kids could take a lot more than we think now i don't know when they were wrong and when they were right but i certainly didn't get scarred by this stuff as a kid 
no kid no kid did there's no there's no kid that did yeah it all turned out okay there's no there's no the only people that are scarred are ones that have other issues that are dealing with which is you know unfortunate what have you but it's not because of it's not because the movies were too rough on them Um, it's it's something that we are sorely lacking um and certainly there are filmmakers that are trying to bring that back uh del toro is one um but it is it's a it is a shame <laughs> that there's so even in the even in the PG thirteen blockbusters that we get there's not a there's not there's not nearly enough sense of thrill that there could be uh, to kind of test boundaries. I always thought this guy listening in the in the van was Harrison Ford. I guess it's not, but mm. it looks a little like Harrison Ford to me. That FBI agent is listening to them or whoever he is. No, it's the guy that he's racing against in American Graffiti. <laughs> that's, that's what. Looks <laughs> like Harrison Ford a little bit. I mean, I keep, as far as like he's got eyes and hair right in front of it, the way that Ford kind of wears it, sure. I mean, but that was well, the style of the time. Out and there was a big late in the 90s, they put out a big Laserdisc special edition that I bought. And that was the first time you saw the actual scene with Harrison Ford as the principal. Before that, I thought that was just him and that, that he was in this and it was a campy. I didn't know that that scene existed. I guess that would have happened by now, right? Probably after the whole Frogs thing. That's when we would have gotten mm. that scene. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, if we haven't made it clear already, yes, Harrison Ford had a there was a cameo kind of planned where it still wouldn't necessarily see him, but that he'd be appearing as the principal, and probably I think deleted for a couple of reasons. One is just because you don't need the scene, and also because it might be just too distracting, even though you're not actually seeing Harrison Ford. <laughs> so. And you're breaking the rule of well, I guess keys. So they wouldn't they wouldn't have shown him though, right? That's the thing. They wouldn't have. Uh, I like the dynamic too that the older brother can be fully trusted to know about et but then the painful moment later where d wallace finds out and freaks out she can't accept what the older brother still can which is which i think is a, is a nice setup it's a separation it's, of innocence yeah like it's you know she wants to protect her kids exactly it still informs her character it's not that she's against et that she's pro kids being safe and she doesn't right. know what it, it's a literal it's a literal alien presence she doesn't know what that's going to mean well, but it's, uh, that, 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 that in, his own, in its own way is a conservative mindset. You're, you just want to protect what's yours, which is what an adult, even a young, cool adult like D. Wallace's character would do. What E.T., what Henry Thomas does here is a very non-conservative sort of thing to, to, to be open to this scary experience and, and, and go the distance of helping them, you know? That's taken to a huge, greater degree of poltergeist with poltergeist um, with Coach, with Craig T. Nelson and, and uh, Joe Beth Williams, right? Because they're like, very cool parents yeah they're like it's in terms of like quotations like cool parents from the 80s they're getting high they're you know mm-hmm. they're very open and they like joking around or what have you but they're also dead set on you know getting their little girl back when you get sucked inside a tv who would be like there is but even then like once they're aware that poltergeists are in the house it's not like they're not hanging out in the house joe beth williams in there with the chairs being like watch this this oh, is how it is now. Showing them how cool it is because yeah. you know there's there's still sort of a hip that hippieish vibe, but there's still that yeah. sort of so counterculture thing of yeah, that's true, and that that's another set of uh, of cool parents, kid, big kid parents that he sort of has in his movies, you know, at least of this this year <laughs> that he did this yeah, that year. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to look at the other ones where I think of it's like you know, like his in Gremlins, like Billy's dad's a wacky inventor. He's it's pretty cool. <laughs> anyway, he's making things float now. It was. A, it, it, I had to realize as a kid that 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 the difference between this and Gremlins is vast. Uh, because this, how how involved was Spielberg in Gremlins? I mean, he produced it obviously, but 
it's it's look, like it still looks it. like it comes from the same school of Spielberg films. It does, but yeah, I mean, I'm someone who thinks very few of those are successful. Um, and I remember sort of feeling dejected in the 80s as they were coming out, going, well, that's not as good as E.T. That's not as good. That's not really a Spielberg movie. The other obvious one is Back to the Future, um, where... <laughs> And that's dealing with that. There's some subversion there as far as the, the nature of the parents, like what's a success versus what isn't by the time you get to the end of that movie where it's like, yeah, he became a big uh, best-selling sci-fi author. Because right, then and you're back with the, and Gale, who are the sort of anarchic spirit of 1941, which uh, clashes a bit with Spielberg, who's not anarchic, really. Which is, I think, is a benefit to that relationship. I think it, I think that's a, it's an interesting dynamic between them where they're very okay. much on, not necessarily opposing ends, but they're certainly not all the way in line of each other, but I think that also helps in what makes them tick. I love I love E.T. here Ouch. seeing the knife. The, the knife. Ouch! She's like, no, no! Such a sweet little... And she thinks it's Gertie. Mm-hmm. What are they dressed as? I'm sorry. I... <laughs> just be a something. I'm a hunchback. I'm not... And cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm a pirate. I'm a guy... I'm a, I'm a hobo with a knife in his head. With a knife in his head. <laughs> I, I kill Ouch. hobos? <laughs> Put that away. A hobo with knife his head and like camo pants. Like, yeah, it's like this is what was lying around Halloween. Yep. Meanwhile, D. Wallace. I need to go get uh, candy and look like I'm dressed up. D. Wallace is. I can give me candy if I have no costume. I've got to put something on. Um, I'm I'm always a a sucker for Halloween iconography in films, Mm -hmm. especially if there's a scene that takes place on or at Halloween. And I think when people make lists, they forget this Spielberg really captures the suburban trick-or-treating with your family. Yeah. Not Things are a little yet. mischievous, not yes. quite dark yet. It's so great. Yeah, absolutely. This all needed a reset. These movies had been being made for years. If this was made in the 60s, the kid, the parents would be these stiff, you know, 50s types, and there would be no reality to the world of it. So what he did with these movies, and with this one in particular, is he really reset the standards for a kid's adventure movie or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call this. I mean, yeah. this is, you know, here comes the Yoda, right? And even a reprise of the uh, Yoda theme. Does he keep doing that? Like, when does he do this again? Like, I guess Hook, he's doing like kids, but even then he, that's like briefly before I mean, he just takes it to a fantasy he, planet. It just, it changes how kids are in other movies, even when he take it like short round, when he uses them in, uh, Temple of Doom. There, there's a spirit to the kid. yeah. There's an attitude that's yeah. contemporary for the time. Chris, Christian Bale, uh, Empire of the Sun. Like, yeah, I'm trying to think of like specific, like, like uh, what's what's the word does? Um, uh, contemporary like the displays of like of, of adolescence like this. Yeah. Like, I, I'm trying to think of other ones where he because like, he doesn't really focus on it, right? Like Jurassic Park, but then again, you're like in a fantasy area, like you're not dealing with yeah. like a neighborhood. So, like, what do you get to um, War of the Worlds with like Dakota Fanning? I guess it's like uh-huh. oh. there's a little quote from John. It pays to have John Williams doing your score, and he also did Return of the Jedi. And right, uh, yeah, like we're obviously we're talking over the movie because we're doing commentary, but this score, like it's this and this and this and like Empire, I think have to be like yeah. his his greatest like mm, works ever yeah and i've talked to too many people who want to discredit this movie and say the only effects it only works because the score forces you to feel emotional i think that's absolute bs i think the score is just another level of information that's successfully working is you know, this the forest moon of endor woods yes i think yeah. it is yeah like i always I, see it and i see it in other movies and i'm like i recognize those trees well because then the, I mean, the score is amazing it, it, it yeah 
Yeah. Oh, builds to yeah, this. One. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah. You could feel the pit of your stomach tingle in the theater. You know, this was beyond. And this still looks great right now. Look at this. Like, oh, it does. Like, it's not because it's not. It, it's weird to say it's underplaying it, but I do think a lot of what this movie's doing is underplaying the effects because I think he's coming off of something like Raiders and Close Encounters, which are so big. Where this, I think he's very deliberately like trying to make it as lo-fi as he can, despite being an alien adventure movie. So when this happens, it feels earned and big. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You get a big moment and you can th- you get in. You can have Johnny Williams do his thing right here because you've got to that point without having to, you know, without selling it every 10 minutes. This is more like, yeah, I can nail these moments like this. But yeah, the score is beautiful. Like the 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 smash into credit, not smash, but like the, the push into the credits and the piano that comes up, that like makes me emotional. Oh yeah, like, I know what you mean. Yep. More like more than music does in like in any form generally i mean the range yeah the range on this one is insane this is like very very special there's no doubt that john williams was moved to create that score based on the movie that was coming together i mean you i don't think anybody could have missed who saw this what what was coming you know and he appropriately wins for this movie (laughs) right i think that's a thing that that people miss sometimes what you just said most of the time the best composers write their score based on the film it's not the other way around mm-hmm. right and so in order to create a score of this magnitude the film he's watching had to have moved him on on a deep level right yeah huh so the last time he wins is schindler's list he's been nominated like 20 more times right but the last time he wins an oscar is for schindler's list he wins for this he's won for star wars and jaws he won for fiddler on the roof his nominations are insane. Like it's for everything, including some things that may have hey, not needed. But. I feel like he's going to have one more win in him. I feel like he, it, it does seem. Yeah. I, I'm sure like whatever the next one is, it's just like, it's a bite. And like, I'm sure, I'm sure it's good. Look, like I wouldn't want to take be, it. For, could be the Fableman. I'm saying, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. the only, the only non Williams Spielberg movies are there. There's just one or two. Right? There's a few now because there's, there's ready player one, silver street, there's uh, West Side Story, obviously. Uh, yeah. There's Color Purple, famously. Thomas Thomas Newman did Bridge of Spies. Yeah, because he was because mm-hmm. Williams was like he couldn't do it. He was he got the um, had health complications during that one. So, right. So those, yeah, it's only yeah, it's less than five, um, and yeah. <laughs> one because it's because Quincy Jones insisted, and the other because I guess maybe just I guess he was just channeling something with Ready Player One. He's like, yeah, I'll get Silver Street to do this. That makes sense. There's so many careful long shots, and especially in early Spielberg movies too. Where like, you, there are ones that again they don't call attention to themselves. You don't really think about it, and it's not like they're, you know, he's not pulling a corone. He's not making them 15 minutes at a time, but there are still steady camera placements that direct main directors don't consider doing. They're just like, yeah, we'll just block it out. He's just like, yeah, we'll just let the camera roll, just move it around. Well, I it was something I was talking about earlier, unrelated how just the way films are edited now even 20 30 40 years ago it's worse everything is so much more quick paced now cut 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 in this film the moments breathe he doesn't rush through it yep true
E.T.'s uh, face. Actually, you mentioned the puppet design, and yes, you had um, a, a, a little people actors as well as a, yes, a young boy. The face for the puppet was uh, it was designed to model off of a Pulitzer Prize winner Carl Sandburg, Einstein, Hemingway, and a pug. I remember Stephen. I remember Cecil and Ebert showing the first picture of E.T. before the movie came out. They showed a picture of E.T. Was kind of scary to me. Why'd they show up? What they were doing? I remember them saying Carl Sandburg, Albert Einstein, and Ernest Hemingway. In my mind, I thought they said Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> decades and decades, I thought that E.T. had been designed to look like Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> I'm gonna make you a a, Mar- a Marty Blu-ray cover. Uh, the, vil- the Strawberry Shortcake villain. I forget his Little name. Man, yep. is, yes, man on the shelf. What else? We're past the Reese's Pieces stuff for the most part, but um, M&M's was the first considered because why not? It's M&M. It's the most popular candy in the world. Um, but they said, you know what? No. <laughs> the <fools. laughs> they went to Hershey's with the nose. Like, what about Reese's Pieces? Yeah, sure. Obviously increased sales of Reese's Pieces. <laughs> Huge uh, benefit uh, for uh, for that candy. And they didn't make E.T cute i mean he's lovable but he's very alien looking the way his head is always his forehead is always sort of throbbing you know like yeah it's a it's like a slight new step from the like the grays and close encounters right because he's 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 fatter i mean that's the way to put it like it's a little more round a little more short those are creepy he's less creepy than those because of those human eyes he's got yeah but yeah, the, the close encounter ones are because you're, you're they're supposed to be ambiguous up to the end, basically, right? Like, Especially the big, big spidery one that comes out is really like, yeah, I'm not going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't I don't know about this. No. Where's the, where are the, where are the Wookiees? Come on, Wookiee. This is where you start ET's an adult fearing for his life, and and that Elliot can't quite understand it, you know. Elliot's just a kid, he's falling asleep here. It's sweet. God, I do like that it introduces various things that E.T. can do throughout, and they never feel like, oh, another thing he can do? Like, he has magic fingers, he can make things fly, he can heal stuff. Like, he has all these powers, and you don't really think, like, oh, this thing's too much. It's like, this is so neat. He can extend his neck. He can He's got a fairy tale quality, and, it, and, it's, and yeah, it works. And they haven't even revealed that he can do the sort of healing stuff. Do the yet. other stuff, yeah. Which but is you saw, do the, you saw him do the flowers. You have it. You have an idea that it's like, oh, he just got some stuff going on. But yeah, the, to the extent that he's able to go as far as bringing life back, he'd make Anna, Anakin jealous. <laughs> you know, what I, I like about the ET design is that it's a it's a unique take on what everybody's uh, sketch artist renditions of like alien uh, extraterrestrials were at the time. Yeah, it's got the the faces there and some of the but the body is. They said these being these tall guys, short, stoutly. What was the Aaron? What's the name of the movie that the Night Terror? What was it? The original Night Skies. Nice. You think that is what eventually is signs? Do you think the Shyamalan was sort of yeah, being a Spielberg nerd? Yeah, that was easily. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I because the the sequel to ET that never happened was going to be called Nocturnal Fears, mm-hmm. right? And it's supposed to be much darker and, and more horror elements, as opposed to the sequel we got, which is the ride at Universal, where you go to the Green Planet of Botanicus and get mm-hmm. to to meet all the creatures with a musical number. And so he says your he says your name at the end. The ride Goodbye. is wonderful. So, so they they, they turned that part with the name off 
during COVID because I was visiting. A bunch. Oh, so it's still there. It's still it's still. Important. Oh yeah, it, okay, it's, it's the it, only mm-hmm. original ride still at that park. Yeah, they well, took it out. Um, they took does it out it of Hollywood. Break down as often because it's like a tradition no, it, when it I run, go. It, it runs down. really. Sm- it runs really smoothly. I actually have a friend who the other day on the 40th anniversary, she lives in in Orlando, wrote it 40 times in one wow. day. And she cataloged it all on her Instagram story. Did you give a different name and every time? I don't know. I don't. I don't, last time I was there, they weren't doing the name thing anymore because uh-huh. it was that part was never working that well anymore. That's weird because that's. Not, I mean, I get if it's not working, it's not working. But that's such a highlight for when I went. It's, it's not it at the. Is. It's not at the Hollywood Park anymore. They replaced it with. The, they, 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 they replaced it with the Mummy's Revenge. Uh, <laughs> they need, well, the, they the Mummy replaced King Kong in the Orlando one. Okay. That's well, good. in yeah. Hollywood, they they replaced. Yeah, that's, well, it's, I always find it interesting where they put the because they put things in different areas because obviously there's no Epcot at Disney over there, but and things how they structure these parts. Well, and here because it's the actual Universal Studios, you get yeah. the tram the tram tour where they incorporate a lot of different things over time. And, and King Kong burned down, right? Didn't well, I remember in the '90s, uh, I took the tram tour and we went through the sets of From Earth to the Moon because it was being shot yeah. there. Um, for parts of it, so we got to do a tram tour and see stuff of that. Did Brian Cranston come out in a space costume with a knife? Oh, you took the tram tour too. <laughs> Universal Studios. We just make that story, make that a thing. Just, just take the Jim Carrey story and turn it into Brian Cranston came out in a space suit with a knife and started attacking people. Well, there's that. What is I, I heard somewhere? There's like this Jan Michael Vincent story about a tram tour at Universal where he was shooting like Airwolf and like went out and just. He was like having some bouts with alcohol at the time and uh, exposed himself and urinated yeah, in worse. front of a tram tour. Yeah, <laughs> I had a feeling it wasn't going anywhere good. You said Jan Michael. You said Jan Michael Vincent. He said America's sweetheart, Jan Michael Vincent. <laughs> yeah. Um, Isn't that common knowledge? <laughs> <laughs> that should be an actor issue, though. If you're if you're filming on the Universal set, the tram tour is going by. You got to fuck with the audience. Like, Maybe not the way that Jan Michael Vincent like- did, but. E.T. looks horrifying. I know. This is the scariest scary. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh, what? Yeah. Save that alien baby, please. <laughs> yeah, this, this is please. awful. With the raccoon, the raccoon's gonna like feast on E.T.'s head. It's like, yeah, whoa, this, guys. This, this, whoa. Is ter- this is terrifying. <laughs> that raccoon became a big star after this, also. Yeah. But um, he, get, he signs autographs. Still. I mean, he's in two shots, so Spielberg's like, no accident. He's like, get the raccoon train. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, right. definitely. And I say, you know, he's got a booth at the. At the Should we cons. use maggots? No, Steven, stop. 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 Yeah, you're going to kill these kids. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's again, doing this, this full viewing. Scary. Doing this full viewing for the first time in like high school, as far as like registering this stuff, like, this got dark. Like, this is really intense. Well, I, 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 I like this part. The brother takes a handoff for the lead for a few moments and it yeah, works. Yeah. And it, it does. Yeah. It's very clear. Like there's, there's good writing that way. Like that's not an easy thing to just like hand the movie over to another star, especially one that's as you know, as good as 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 uh, Henry Thomas is playing mm-hmm. this. You know, and how much you're connecting to him. God, it's so and, scary. Like, yeah, I I absolutely uh, believe that that is a real thing. Yeah, like, <laughs> I think part of why the the shift of lead works too is. The way the character's written prior, it, it doesn't do the typical thing where you'd expect the older brother to be a jerk. He's just like part right. of the gang helping take it's care like of It's like light teasing. Too. That's all the, yeah. that's all the bullying he does to yeah. is like yeah. they're, they're actually close, them or in love with healthy brothers. Yeah. 
It's not like so it's not like oh god, the asshole's the lead now. It's not no. like making Josh Brolin the lead of the Goonies for the team. Exactly, exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> it's not like into brand territory over here. All those choices are what make it special. Brother's not a jerk. The sister's not a jerk. Well, I mean, he shows up that one time in like football equipment, but you can tell it's like, well, it's just a thing I do. Yeah, yeah. You know, he also like, plays Dungeons and Dragons. He does it all. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas Al, he knows where it's at. Pony boy. He's doing his thing. Well, interesting too, ha- having a um, new season of Stranger Things just dropped pretty recently. Mm-hmm. Like that show wears ET all over its. Yeah. yeah. Oh, ET yeah. and it, the original it, yeah. those are yeah. Yeah, hard coded in that DNA. As they generally describe it, right? The kids are in a Spielberg movie. The, the older teens are in a, what, a um, Stephen King thing, and the adults are in a Carpenter movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And they just combine all those things. Anyway, uh, I love how this is shot. Um, same in Close Encounters, as far as you're at the, you're in your house and there's invaders. What is it? Yeah. What, what, and it's so, and the the outside's very specifically obscured. It's just light. I don't know what's happening. Well, and like it's presenting something that feels like a threat and is just not saying anything to convince you otherwise. It's crazy how like a, a an astronaut space uniform. Is scary because it's, it's faceless. It's it, it, yeah, like it, it, in yeah. any medium, we've always it's it can be the most terrifying thing you've ever seen, or it can be the most like um, proud thing, or you know triumphant. But it's scary. Well, I think it's it's the it's it's having that glass visor, right? I mean, yeah. you, if you see Tom Hanks or Ed Harris in a spacesuit without the helmet on, they look like American heroes. Well, you even in that, like Alien, when they're well, wearing it, it's scary. The, like the breathe, the breathing inside. also has a Darth Vader esque quality, to right? It. Mm-hmm. And there's something inherently creepy about those long, deep. Was that because you can't you can't see a face there? There's just an you unknown that's quietly coming he, towards he, you. Reaching out to that faceless astronaut, it's so heartbreaking that moment, right? Mm-hmm. He expects humans to be helpful. Because he met Elliot, so he reaches out to the faceless astronaut, which is a very surreal sort of image. A guy in a full astronaut suit walking through a suburban house. And you know, we've talked already about the the uh, kids' point of view that we've had. So when the second you're introducing adults, it's not just like here's a guy. It's here's an army of people that presumably want to do something harmful, or at least not the thing that we've been seeing, which is innocence of ET. They want to do something different. And here's a whole bunch of people in the in the in the sunset coming mm-hmm. at you. That just you know it's an it's evocative and just presents threat. And it's like I don't want to see this. I don't want this to happen. And it looks like the worst possible scenario. You have invaders in the house. They're covering it. They're wearing suits. They have lights shining at you. They're taking this thing away. Like and frankly, <laughs> there's nothing scarier than the government. Yeah. So. <laughs> True. That said, this is really cool set design. Like I love all this. It's like it looks. Oh great. yeah. <laughs> Imagine if they did this in Poltergeist. <laughs> just have an army of people walk in, cover the house. There's a lot of the same actors. They just went back. And see, now you get Peter Coyote in here. And yes, he's still like part of the opposition, but he still present like, and it's the strength of him, I guess, as far as just his general presence. But like, I feel like there's a benevolence that you want to see in him compared to just faceless goon, you know, faceless G-men. Right. He's also sort of a big kid. Doesn't he say later, I'm, you know, I wish he'd come to me and I'm glad he came to you instead of me, uh, to Elliot. Especially once he starts talking, right? Like he's, mm-hmm. he's clearly presenting that. But even when he first shows up, like I don't, 
I don't read like, you know, cigarette smoking man from X-Files. I read like, okay, he, he seems like he might be on the up and up as far as whatever he's up to. He read for Indiana Jones and Spielberg said if he had made a comedy, he would have cast Peter Coyote. Mm-hmm. That's why he remembered him for this. I um I just don't know Coyote that well. Like, it's, I, like I'm this sure I've like seen his him biggest thing. thing. Because he pops up in things that I've certainly seen. He pops up like I watched for a few years. I I watched Southern Comfort when um when when uh when Powers Booth died, um, and he's in that for a bit. He's in something I just watched. What was it? I Um, I watched um. He won an Emmy for a a documentary he narrated that I remember watching. We don't really see him, but Mm. good for him for winning that that award unforgettable that Ray Liotta movie that's not good oh, yeah. I just I just watched that because Ray Liotta died so I'm like I never saw unforgettable he's in that movie <laughs> one thing I do remember from him specifically because his voice stands out is um an actual coyote or fox or whatever in that Simpsons episode where Homer trips on the pepper huh. uh, <laughs> that's his, his Simpsons contribution took me many years to realize Peter Kennedy was probably not his real name it's like a hippie name. <laughs> it's actually John Fox. If you say it fast enough, it sounds like peyote. F-O-X. <laughs> it's uh, Robert Peter Cohen. He, he does a lot of narry voiceover now. He does a lot of the Ken Burns. Yeah. He's 80 years old. Still kicking. Is he? Yep. You know, he kind of... Aaron's going to hate me for this. He kind of gives me Costner vibes. I can see that. Bit. He seems like he's from you know the Midwest, and I'm, I'm not going to hate you for it, Brandon. He's good, so yeah. you know, like, that's a, it's a stark difference. Oh come on, he's better in the '80s than Cosner is in the '80s. Yeah, Bull Durham's fine. That's fair. And yeah, we don't want to see Elliot. Like uh, you know, ET is one thing. Elliot's dying too, and it's yeah. like this is sad. <laughs> Again, it's it's love. It's, it's a way of looking at love. You're attached to something. It feels like when they're dying, you're going to die. Let's see. Um, as far as e- more of ET facts uh, go, uh, Pat Welsh does the voice for ET, but there's some modulation then birds involved, but also like 16 different people and mm. animals are all like incorporated together to kind of do a thing to make it unique in the way it is. Deborah Winger is in there. Deborah Winger is one of there. Yep. Yeah. Deborah Schwinger. Exactly. I wonder if that's why Arliss Howard is in the Lost World. Aren't they married? He probably knew Arliss Howard from being friends with Deborah Winger all those years. I'm sure Spielberg just opened up his book. Is like, who's an asshole? And Arliss uh, <laughs> Howard uh. in the Lost World. <laughs> I already have Peter Stormare in here, but he can't be the main asshole. We gotta, <laughs> get somebody we gotta, else. We gotta off one of them early to yeah. up, up the stakes for who's who's the counter to my nemesis, Richard Attenborough. Oh, I know, Arliss Howard. <laughs> who's like, isn't he in? He has a lot of Gandhi. After Gandhi beats him, Spielberg has a weird kind of not revenge, but he has a weird like. I'm gonna get a lot of people from Gandhi in all of my movies from now on. Yeah, because Gandhi has like most of Hollywood in it to begin with. Like, there's a lot of people in Gandhi. <laughs> There's a lot of watching, including Richard Attenborough, which is hilarious that he has him in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Attenborough is better actor than a director, I would say. His presumed nemesis, Richard Attenborough, who I believe says something along the lines of "ET well, was the better movie." <laughs> like this is right here. This is 
<laughs> yeah, this is the rough stuff, right? It is this for sure. It's kind that of like chalkiness to him. It's just oh yeah, like somebody rub some lotion on ET, please. It's all ashy. Like this is a black person's worst nightmare watching all this right now. You gotta think that if this had been made 30 years later, Henry Thomas would have been nominated. I mean, he's so good. And it was the biggest movie ever, and it's on his back. I mean, you gotta talk of him being nominated, but I think a best actor would have been <laughs> well deserved. His audition apparently like it didn't go well. Uh, and then he but he had him in again or something, and he told a story about like how his aunt died and how emotional that made him, and Spielberg like hired him on the spot, something along those lines, as far as you seen that video, it's on it's, it's on the and then his parents were like, Oh, you threw them that story. Good. Always gets us those parts. There's, a, there's, a, there's an amazing it, it's all over YouTube. It's 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 his audition tape, and he's crying about ET, please, ET, you know, don't die, whatever. And and then you hear Spielberg go, Okay, kid, you got the part. Huh. It's a great moment, but like he clearly, it's the moment that he gets the part. It's 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 an amazing little bit of acting for Thomas, and you just hear Spielberg like, "Yeah, all right, you're it." Look at this. Come back and see sadly. how worried his brother is is mm-hmm. heartbreaking, and and in in the way it's shot, he looks like such a kid. You you remember, he may be the older brother, but he's still just a kid too. That moment he wants to be a kid. He doesn't want to be associated with the older. Right. People. He's almost like in the fetal position crawled up. Well, it, it, it very much, you know, he's a kid that's clearly has friends or what have you, but now it's center. It's making, it's, it's isolating him in the way that's certainly affecting him. That guy did not do much. What did his, this actor's name? Something. C.C. Thomas L. No, the actor playing the brother. <laughs> he did not do a lot of, uh, that's not C. Thomas Howell. No, C. Thomas Howell is one of the friends on the Sorry. bikes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was just thinking C. Thomas L. It's um, what's his name? Uh, Robert McNaughton. Yeah, he didn't do much after this. No, he really didn't. He's certainly well cast in this. Yeah, this uh, him screaming and all the people you know, like yeah. And you just think, guy, adults, leave him alone. Elliot can take care of him. Yeah. You know, like he's powerful for a kid, man. He tears off his. Yeah, he's so great. Thomas. And now you can see that's us think he is dead. Now you can see all the adults' faces. Like this is the first yeah, yeah, you can see him. There's not there's not John Landis. Yeah. Just Alfred just Coppola, actually. It it looks kind of like both. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We're in the William Freaking glasses. The William Freaking glasses. <laughs> nice like, job, adults. Yeah. Big mustache. And seriously, nobody has any lotion. Like so many people in here. <laughs> it's funny they're just operating this alien that they have no idea how its biology works. Like they're just at all. Okay, we'll just do human stuff to it. That's the thing too. Like it's not even like I don't know if it has part. Like they don't cut it open. Thank God. A- but like it's. He, it's like a he. It's it's genderless. It's like a plant. Right? Like that's that's yeah. the thing. Too. Like it's. <laughs> I always think of him as a he for some reason. I wonder what that is. Because he's just associated that. I mean, it just <laughs> it's heteronormative mind. <laughs> just you just think that way. <laughs> or maybe because they dress him up like a girl at one point. Even that I because I, I'd agree with you. I, I I would bet that most like girls that watch this movie probably also don't necessarily think ET is 
wouldn't necessarily say she in regard to E.T. Maybe it's just the way it's relating to Elliot and they don't want to assume it's romantic. So they're not thinking and because they're thinking only in terms of like cisgender. So, so they're associating obviously like it's a friend. So it's like a he, right? That's kind of like the, the thought process that goes on in the 80s. Well, maybe because of the bond with Elliot, it assumes the role of a male at that time. And then it can go on to other bonds and become whatever gender is needed. If there's a dynamic that's presented differently or what have you. Well, we only have one movie to know. Exactly. Yeah. So. They had a menace, but you can't really tell. It was three of them, right? So, <laughs> we never got E.T. the extra two restrials, right? No. Oh, boy. But she never even... That was going to be the spinoff from... Uh, from um, an idea. From Star, Star Wars um, Coruscant Councils, where it just focuses on all <laughs> the different aliens in the, in, the, uh, in the arena there. That is funny that Lucas is like, what if we did a, a little ET inside the yeah. in the uh, what the fuck is that place called? I can't think of right now. The Senate, the Galactic Senate, the Galactic Senate. Thank you. That's like, Senate. Yeah, yeah that's- it's not just like they're, they're there. It's not just like they're playing there. They're like outwardly like expressing like, yeah, he what he's what what Palpatine's saying. Really hits harder <laughs> in uh, New Hope when they talk about the Senate being disbanded. Be like, oh no, ET. <laughs> Which is exactly what he means. What what. <laughs> <laughs> when um, they were the Grand last target goes in, <laughs> we murdered the rest of the city, guys. It's all good now, especially those phone home guys. They were slaughtered. What if that becomes a new spinoff movie? Remember that line in The New Hope where they talk about they finally disbanded the Senate? Where here's a whole movie about the political discourse involving that line. Don't tempt them. And we're now we're not recasting Tarkin though. We're bringing uh, we're bringing back the uh, CG model. Six episodes. So this coffin is also creepy that they put ET in. Yeah, but all worth it for the moment when the flower comes back here when you first see and the and Elliot the, crying. All the human bad vibes of this scene, you know. Yeah. All the human tech is not over the top and doesn't feel like it's aged much at all like that's what kind of a beauty about this yeah ability they don't use too many screens screens are the thing that i always stand out to me monitors and screens because everything's like flat now so it's like you don't rely too much on that then you can get away with a lot (laughs) but you know what rules huh blinking lights and switches and oh yes those are the best switches and then a tape reel never go out of style a tape reel in the back that just knobs whatever yep one of my favorite thing about the Star Wars movies is they've always gone out of their way to make like the on ship tech look as sh- as basic as it did in in yeah. the original. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. generally it's all like scrappy people, right? You're like you know you're rarely seeing like the cool ships with with the money involved. Yeah, they, so they wouldn't have nice stuff. Yeah, the only place it does is Naboo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the the one percent planet. <laughs> <laughs> Naboo and, you know, West Coruscant. Yes. East Coruscant, you don't want to go there. Uh, trash people. That you don't want to go down to SoCo either. <laughs> North Coruscant, however, is really open and progressive. <laughs> yeah, your only real hope when you're watching this is, well, we don't know what kind of creature he is, so maybe he's somehow still alive. 
right? Because they he this is all the way him being dead. Yeah, there's a lot of this. This is that's just like it's not just a cool period. It's ET's in a bag. Like yeah. this is sad. <laughs> this is not making yeah. me feel good. So I'm watching this. It's trying to find facts I can read to distract myself from the pain that I'm getting from ET being dead right it's now. Worth it the minute he the minute that flower, the joy these kids feel when they realize they're still alive is so overwhelming. Because he throws in his sitcom catchphrase right away, so that all the kids are very comfortable right then. Oh, because they're coming now. That's right. He says, phone home. He says, phone home. The applause break happens. Kramer walks in the room. It's great. It's the timing of the heart light going on as Elliot slams it down and pretends to be crying. Yeah. So yeah. That, yeah. Uh, Maxwell, you mentioned the theme park ride, which I do think is really neat. I mean, it, it's it's as far as like it has Spielberg giving an intro. He walks over to his buddy E.T. is like, hey, it's me, Steven Spielberg. We got to help this it's guy straight. out. His planet's dying. <laughs> yes. Spielberg needs to act more. I, I love that fun. he is the one like every universal ride has a figure who's like telling you what your mission is and what you have yeah. to accomplish. And it's nothing better than it's Steven himself. Spielberg. <laughs> Just walks in. Okay, guys. He's basically standing in the queue of the ride in the fake right. forest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have bought numerous candles that smell like the cue of that ride smell. Okay. Wow. Uh, right there. This distinct, up. like musty water forest smell that's just delightful. But it is a cool ride. Like you could use it. It's like the Peter Pan ride, right? You gotta like zoom around on the bikes yeah. in the forest. Then you eventually Same get to the tech. Pl- then you eventually get to the planet. And you don't ask why, how that works. You're just like, okay, about the planet now. And there's all the musical stuff and the light. Interdimensional the bike travel. That's exactly. Right. The plants are coming back to life. It's all nice. And then, yeah, you walk out of there and he's saying everybody, at least what is working, he's saying everybody's name. That was the coolest thing to me when I went to Universal Studios. Like, this is a thing. You can just put your name in and he's, he talks to you. That's great. See, like, it's, it's funny because, like, every, like, it's almost a tradition since I was a kid going with my parents to Universal that that ride would break down while we were in line. And so yeah. I've had that, I've had so, like, that thing that one of them that pops up in the middle of the line when you're waiting, oh man, that that would not be broken, but something on the ride would. So you'd sit there like, oh my gosh, he's coming out again. Here he's he comes again. Over and over again. He's, he's saying, saying this. Say something new. I'm but and be then, down the week after next, and we'll definitely take a photo of myself with the ride just for you, fine people. Thank mm-hmm. you. Great. You're welcome. My dad and I did it once at the because we went on it like early in the day and then we went on it later in the day and then we gave fake names and we went for the odd couple. We went Oscar and Felix. That was fun. That is good stuff from Henry Thomas too. Like, the fake acting that he's doing. Facting, right? Mm-hmm. It's growing. Ah! Oh, great. <laughs> he hits his head on there. I forgot. About yeah, that's that. good. Yeah, that's good. So <laughs> good. It's so dopey, like how real and genuine these kids are. Like that yeah. little detail there. I don't yeah. know if that was a planned thing or if that was just on that take, but it fits that character. And In addition to the video, the video, the theme park ride, there's plenty of merchandise, obviously, because it's a blockbuster and why wouldn't there be? But there's famously a video game <laughs> for ET. Oh, I had it. Uh, regarded I, as I had it. one of the worst games, if not the worst game I was game wondering of all time, if this was going to come up. Yep. <laughs> where ET decidedly does not look like ET, but instead actual penis breath. It's like yeah. a weird little creature monster. 
Uh, I believe that not only was it like a terrible game in regard to such, I believe it like bankrupted the studio that made it as well. And they put remaining copies in a landfill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was rushed. Yeah, it's. Oh, yeah, no, it was like. It was rushed. Said, yes. And they yeah. tried, they used some kind of other game to make it, right? Yeah. Like they just called it ET. Very, very difficult to play to remember the gameplay, which oh. is possibly pain in the ass. I, I Yeah, I had it. It was just like, what is this? Like, what? Now, here's a funny story. My um, dad, the one who took me to see the movie and played Frisbee golf with a guy from Taj Mahal, also was friends with a cable guy who was also an extra in movies. And he played one of the guys who's chasing one of the cops who's chasing the kids around. Mm-hmm. Almost comically tiny role. He's one. He's the one with the mustache. But amazingly, he was one of the ones that they had to edit digitally, take out the the gun and put a walkie-talkie in. Ah, that was funny. That the guy that my dad knew, who I haven't seen in twenty years, must have been approached to say, "Well, we're going to automate. We're going to have to change you. You're going to you're going to be carrying a walkie-talkie now." So there's something to talk about. Well, before that, first up, obviously Richard Donner homage this whole sequence for Lethal Weapon Four, right? We have the thing hanging out the back of a car. Yes. Um, but so 2002 rolls around, got the 20th anniversary of ET, big deal, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> the choice so spielberg does this is the, it's that release right it's the 20 it's the 2002 release yes, where, yes, where, yes yeah yes, where yeah. he where he replaces the, all the guns with walkie talkies um because of the magic of special effects um this was by a, its debut on dvd this is immediately like i mean we're already coming off of like star wars changes right and now not exactly the same thing but still kind of and like the exorcist the exorcist it changes too did people decry the exorcist changes yes okay um well this yeah. had scenes put in too, like the scene in the bathtub. Yeah. People were not a fan of the specifically the walkie-talkie stuff. I remember that very vividly. Um it's a weird alternate version that exists. I, I saw it the once in the theater. I wasn't offended by it, but didn't need any of those extra scenes. What do you think was on hey. the mind like at that? Like, what is there? A, I you know, it, like, I get, I get the whole like, let's make it less threatening. I get like, I think it was no, I think Columbine. Columbine. That's what I was going to. Yeah. Well, I think Columbine, and also maybe right after nine eleven. Yeah. Oh yeah. Toning yeah. down the intensity and violence of a family film, but I'm glad that's not the version that they've stuck with. He had talked about um, that for a while. It's, it's similar to Han Solo shooting first. He, he doesn't like, he thought he went too far having them threaten kids with guns. Um, and obviously he's buddies with Lucas. Lucas probably kind of convinced him to do it. <laughs> he never, I was doing some tests, Stephen. Ladies other day, and gentlemen, and see what? Thomas Howell. <laughs> there you go. Here he is. Definitely the most Jesus-y E.T. looks. I don't really buy that E.T. is a Jesus character despite coming back from the dead. Well, it's clearly not. It's Spielberg's too Jewish to make a Jesus character movie. <laughs> yes. But that, if, it's a little jesus right? If, if Spielberg wanted to, you would know. Like, it wouldn't be yeah, subtle. It wouldn't be like, oh, maybe, maybe this. Uh, it, he, that's he, the way Western canon works. You almost can't have a character who dies and comes back from the dead and not have it be Jesus. Even I think, he, even, a, I think he said this too. It's like if I if I made a movie that was like a, that that was a yeah, Jesus parable, my mother would disown me. Like yeah. it's not. A... Superman also is a Jesus. So it's everything's a Jesus. Yeah, the the two Jewish guys that made Superman were just like, man, this is gonna be great. Let's make our Moses movie and turn it into Jesus. Thanks, Zack Snyder. Red sweatshirt <laughs> is iconic. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they used to sell that at the little Universal 
gift shop on City Walk, the red sweatshirt and the psycho curtain you could buy. I wonder how many mounted bike cams shops that we've had in movies up until that point. I'm sure that existed, but you don't really, you know, get locked in bike mounted cameras very often. Also, bikes are cool. Uh, like these, the, like they make bikes look cool in this movie. Mm-hmm. Bikes are so cool, and they're they're one of those elements that sort of became trademark in the like Amblin kids on an adventure movie. Mm-hmm. And this was sort of the the first to really do it. And and a, a basket in the, on your bike now yeah. cool. Ooh. That wasn't cool, and then ET did it. Now it's cool. Remember when cars did stuff like that? It was obviously real, and it just looked cool, and it wasn't even that imp- like it's not like it's going under a truck or flying over a fucking <laughs> submarine. Out, but it's just, all, but it's yeah. just, but it's just going around a corner. It's like that looked fun. A hard <laughs> left turn in the dirt. And, uh, awesome. This is still a Sugar Land Express guy who was known for cars. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he and John Landis mostly had in common back in those days. Yeah, we like car chase movies. Because <laughs> yeah. they're big yeah, kids. This, I mean, like they're yeah, great filmmakers, a- and they're also big kids. <laughs> yep. Like this movie did not have to have a well done chase. It could yeah. have been just oh, yeah. a, right. another element. Who's already home. like, you know what? I can do this. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to have all the kids joining up to protect instead of being little assholes, they join up to protect the special thing, which is a nice mm-hmm. you know. And they and they dress like sub level Dick Tracy villains too, which is also fun. Yeah. <laughs> I get because it's you know they gotta have stunt people right, but it's still funny that they have like disguises on. This could be the development over the Indian graveyard or the Native American graveyard, whatever you want to call. It. It, they, they, it's mm-hmm. the expansions. There are more Indian graveyards that they found. They're like, oh, let's deliberately build over these. That's who lifts them up on the bikes for real, though. The spirits of this. It's the spirits. <laughs> There's my dad's buddy in there. In that shot where they come behind. Oh, okay. okay, so that's we got to find a guy with a mustache. Yeah, he's in there. It, it was hard to find. Even he, okay. I remember him standing there trying to point it out. Like, yeah, I, I guess that's you. <laughs> Good little smash shots right there too. Yep. Like it's it's very subtle, but like they're there. He's doing he's pulling some moves to increase that excitement. Look at that, just flawless. I'm and sure he's. I'm sure a home video those... he's touched it up, but that's just how one of those like, magical moments where yeah. you're just and the music's just and even it. though it doesn't go close up on them all of them have spielberg face the classic yeah. shot where the character's looking up in awe of whatever is in the sky above him yep man and look i, I love also great. how this, this sort of evening night falling and by the time they get to the little spot in the wood it's dark um, where the finale happens i very much like how he he manages the the changing of day into night here for the last 10 minutes of this movie because it's totally dark by the time they get to the, the clearing where the ship is. I just like the way these things glide and land. It's yeah. These kids are great kids with bikes. That's a great moment where they all slide. Oh like, yeah, take that, Goonies! <laughs> They're not doing that synchronized mm-hmm. stuff. Well, I mean, I don't mean to. Like, Goonies has shrill, screamy, annoying kids. Like it's it's made for kids, I guess. This is, I definitely think, general appeal from from the get go. That's that's an interesting distinction that kids movies that are made for kids, or movies about kids that are made for everyone. Yeah, kids movies that are made for kids usually have adults that are really clowny and goofy, like in Goonies, Robert Davi, and then, right, a lot of flatulence and yeah. and slapstick. Are stupid kids Baby. are awesome. Baby's right. Day Out. Yeah, yeah, the best one. 
This is this is. Geez, maybe Peter Coyote should have been watching the skies for giant spaceships, not following kids around. <laughs> Seems like it'd be a little easier to find the giant space. Keys hey, were like, geez, he does find them, so I guess that's going on. How many hearts do you think ET has? No, like one big one, or you think there's like a lot of little ones? When everybody sees Lightyear, uh, the spaceship in that movie has a lot of resemblance to this one. Oh, this Christmas, this Christmas yeah. ornament. Yeah. Cool. I guess it really is supposed to be like any town since this is Northern California. The movie shot in Southern California. There's all cornfields from the Midwest or Central California, whatever. I look at it. And he's got his plant sample, which is lovely. Yeah, exactly. He got the one thing he needed. All right. <laughs> Fine, I can get out of here. <laughs> Later runs. <laughs> be good. Boy, this, this movie's. <laughs> This movie is in a class of its own. Mm-hmm. So the other key thing about this is Spielberg made it as much in chronological order as possible. And he did that very specifically because he wanted to get to this. And by the time these kids have bonded with this thing, he wanted this scene to register as well as possible as far as like they are saying goodbye to this thing that they're not going to be filming with anymore. And so the emotions are absolutely there. And I'm never making a sequel. And I really mean it. <laughs> ET, well, I guess that TV commercial. From years well, ago. It's funny, like, what, what, why do you need an ET? Like it, everything's here. Because you love him and you want to I see get, him. Yeah, I guess. That, that's the movie. Because I want to buy a shirt that says, I saw E.T. 2 on Memorial Day 1986. <laughs> I just, you think about it. You look back. I get it at the time. Be like, oh, more. And then you look back and you're like, you know what? This said everything it needed to say. It's legacy's huge. Like Spielberg yeah. said that the sequel would be like taking the virginity of this movie, which I thought was a very sweet way of like a sequel where they go to the planet, back to E.T. I mean, this you couldn't possibly leave on a more powerful note than this movie leaves on anything they do would be yeah this, this is one movie I hope and the whole thing is of course on some level about his parents not being together anymore and the whole thing is sort of a fairy tale about that and he, he just projects this now he's going to be he's learned this major lesson I don't know there's something very beautiful about the end and the character of Elliot here who seems to have really grown up in a good way during this during this movie i'll say this there's that xfinity commercial that is a choice to make us you know a weird short film sequel to et but but regardless of the whole thing that plays out when adult henry thomas like reacts to et being back he absolutely sells the hell out of the book as far as like, what's yeah. his return? Like anything else in that, whatever. But that's the one that, moment you would want to see it. He comes back. It is. And I did like, and it, you know, for being a commercial, that's, you know, everything about his rings falls. At least Henry Thomas showed up for that moment. Like as far as being an actor, like he tries to put that in. Oh man. That just the way he's hugging him is. Yeah. It's it, those fingers, man. Like it's just, like, it all feels real. Lovable, but boy. <clears throat> So I'll be right here, you know. I always, yeah. Because, I mean, he's telling them. Like, whatever it is that the adults don't have that you have, don't ever, don't ever lose that. There's some message of that in here, you know. Anybody's letting this boy know, like, I'm not going to see you again. This is, but like, you will have me, but like, you're, I'm gone now. Which is a tough lesson for anybody. To it learn. is, exactly. It's a lesson that has to be learned. 
And it applies to so many things in life. Yeah, of course it does. Every loss you have in your life, you have to accept this idea that it's not easy for a kid, certainly. Yeah, it's this feeling that the audience on. It was such a benevolent... I had such a sense of what a benevolent thing this guy had done making this movie, making us all feel... Because we were all sad and sorry to see E.T. go in the theater on the first day, but it was such a benevolent experience to make us all... I don't mean to be gross here, but everybody's heart in that theater was overflowing with love for these characters and E.T. at this point because he'd been so... The movie is so well made. It's just a wonderful, benevolent thing for Spielberg to have done, you know, this movie. And Taking I, the dog, I, too? For, okay. I had to, you know, I... I, I, for, I was at the I was at the rap party for ER. I got invited by a girlfriend to the rap party at ER, which Spielberg produced, and he was there, and I ran over to him, and I got to speak to him for just a minute, and it was... I just thanked him for this movie. And he seemed to be genuinely sort of touched to hear for the 10th millionth time that some lonely little kid had been really touched by this movie. But I, it's all I could think to say to him. He was making another Indiana Jones movie at the time. I really wanted to ask him about that. Oh, they made a fourth one? Apparently so. But I had to. I had to I'm think. kidding. It's fine. I like that movie. <laughs> it's, it's I forgot he produced ER. God, he has just, just ducats of money. Jesus. It's like three money doing? bins. You ever think of doing a prequel to All the President's Men, sir? I love DT. <laughs> Happy Pride Month. <laughs> He's the rainbow. It's great. Happy Pride Month, indeed. <laughs> yes. The, 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 the William score reached the, the score right now. Like, I'm going to, re- when we're done, I'm going to rewind this oh. and play this fucking end again. <laughs> oh, yeah. So good. <laughs> the, 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 whatever that giant drum is going boom, boom, yeah. and then the last shot is just a big Tommy. timpani. There it is. And yeah, this, like, it's not the hardest thing to do to center a shot around somebody, but beyond earning that moment, it, you know, it takes a filmmaker to know, like, how to put a stamp on your movie. Like, and that. it ends, it's not some bullshit after. You right. know, this is the height. This is it. Cut it off. There's yep. no, and we spend I, too much time cleaning things up nowadays. The only thing that would make this movie better would be a closing credit ET rap. Yeah. <laughs> well, at 85, we would have gotten it. <laughs> he's on the he's on the ship. It's like okay, we're on autopilot. Gonna be smooth sailing on the way home. Well, guys, if we got some time. Let me show you something I created uh, that I learned. <laughs> Brandon, that Daniel Atias name that just went by, isn't the guy who directed Silver Bullet? Atias. Oh, I'm, I A-T-T-I-A-S. always love connections. Yeah. I think it is. I kind of like Silver Bullet. Again, no Corey Feldman. Yeah, going through like Summer of 82 at 40, going through these uh, through movies and stuff, you'll find like directors doing these oddball films that, like, what did they do? It's like, oh, this guy worked on a like six Eastwood movies. So apparently. Got him a job somewhere. Sanitias has done a lot of TV. But yes, he was the second unit director on E.T. That is correct. There are certainly a number of great movies that, that are, are that are that are generally assumed to have failed because of this movie. Tron, the thing. You, you know what's funny though? Silver Bullet would like almost has some of that E.T. Absolutely it does. Well. To it. So like it, why why do you think you'd be good for uh Silver Bullet? I was a second I unit on E.T. It was me, not Spielberg. It was me. All that. There. 
So yeah, this movie makes ducats of money. Um, it's just it's like the amount of money. Insane. I mean, it has to be. It has to be. I mean, it's beating Star Wars, which is you know that's already insane. It has yeah all these records of how long it was. Eleven years, regardless regardless of ranking, it had like eight weekends where it was grossing over ten million dollars mm-hmm. each weekend, which was not matched until Home Alone. <laughs> it, it was yeah like a sixteen week run at number one world it's not like it's not making money worldwide either it's just clobbering things like it's just it is a phenomenon it, it is everywhere everyone's seeing et ralph mccrory there he is the movie movie for the ages you know it's almost almost all movie moments from the beginning to the end conrad mm-hmm. buff leave this these credits on for the score and enjoy the um the film is as we've mentioned it's its 40th anniversary it's going to be re- we're recording this right now at the beginning or at the middle of June but it's going to be re released in IMAX in um in August. Oh, is Blade Runner the only thing from the? I mean, the, right now this June month of eighty two is huge. So there's all these things re releasing, but I don't think Blade Runner. I know Wrath of Khan is getting re released. Poltergeist getting re released. ETs getting re released. Blade Runner and the thing, yeah, the things. The thing re-released. they're doing, yeah, yeah. So I, I just haven't heard anything about Blade Runner. That seems to be the only one. They don't want to confuse people uh, with the with the new one. They're like, there's only right. one Blade Runner, <laughs> and we didn't see it because it flopped, uh, <laughs> just so. like the first one. All right, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Peter Pan, that's right. That's a segment and of Peter Pan that she's reading them, and the and when Ethy's listening from the closet, need a hanky panky re-release for its fortieth anniversary. <laughs> the Gene Wilder movie. Still haven't seen that. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> you guys, I, I I'm amazed the movies you guys are rewatching and discussing. I haven't seen. It's a great summer, but boy, this is the kind. Of, I still haven't seen the best old horror in Texas. Probably never will. Ah. Oh. Oh boy! Well, right. yeah. So we've 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 covered ET. We didn't talk too much about ET versus Batman, but I guess we'll have to save that for another commentary. <laughs> um, well done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ET. This is a special. <laughs> caught up in this thing. I'm not even listening to a sound. Um, but no, this has been good stuff. I'd like to think the listeners enjoyed some of our commentary here. Um, but yeah, we've arrived at the end of the film. And thus, we need, we need to wrap up this old podcast. So I will start by saying, uh, when where can people find more of your guys' work online? Maxwell, let's start with you. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Cinemaxwell. Uh, and I also recently launched a new YouTube channel with my friend Amber. It's Ember Productions. Follow us over there on Twitter at Ember Products, P-R-O-D-U-X, for links to all the stuff we got going on. Great. Uh, Yancey Burns, anything you want to plug? Oh, Milky Way Blues, Yancey Jack on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, and, you know, just watch the skies. Brandon Peters. All right. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. As I mentioned a couple of times, uh, my podcast, Brandon Peters Show, has a series with Scott Mendelson called The Summer of 82 at 40, where we take a look at movies like E.T. and uh, all the films uh, weekend by weekend. And not just the films themselves, what else was going on in pop culture during that week the movies came out so people are going to the movies what else were they doing too uh it's been a lot of fun but yeah uh et has been on there and we're getting ready for that blade runner the thing mega force and monty python live at the hollywood bowl weekend which is a huge huge (laughs) nerd weekend uh at the movies that happened all in one weekend it's not words yes (laughs) 
Uh, you can find everything I do on my personal blog, thecodeofzeke.com. Everything I do ends up over there, but I write for We Live Entertainment, Wise and Blue, and some variety stuff occasionally. I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. You can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you know, all our handles and all that stuff. Um, yeah, uh, I want to thank uh, Brandon Maxwell and Yancey, of course, for joining me for this ET commentary track. Thank you. Thank you. That was a good one, guys. That was special. Thanks. Happy to have you guys all on here. Happy to celebrate this wonderful movie. Um, next month, we got some options for July. We'll, uh, we'll go over those. Um, but I know Brandon's like, God, when are we going to do that 20th anniversary Halloween resurrection episode? And, you know, it just might be. It. Yep. Uh, so it's time. Uh, so <laughs> we certainly have some things that we'll probably come up with. But yeah, stay tuned for learning about what that next commentary will be. Until then, though, until next time, so long and goodbye. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.